When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let us dive into the very first question. This one comes from Louis Christine Imbing. This is from the Connect Inbox. Do you follow any morning routine? If so, what does your morning routine look like? And what is your thought process behind doing each of these actions? Okay, here it goes. First of all, your morning routine starts the night before. So go to bed early. Now, I used to say that like a religion, I was in bed by 9 p.m., but now uh, my schedule has gotten a little out of whack. We've got a new piece of content um, called Real Impact, by the way, for anybody that's into film and TV and the mindset that you can glean from that. You can go to uh, youtube.com forward slash impact theory studios and check that out. But that routinely now has me seeing movies at far past my bedtime. Uh, but I try to go to bed as close to nine as humanly possible every night, save for the weekends. And in that, I sleep without an alarm. So I wake up when I wake up. The reason that I do that is because I want to get as much sleep as I need. So I'm all about cognitive optimization. So uh, I'm not somebody who sets the alarm to make sure that I'm up at four in the morning. But when I wake up at four in the morning, I'm a very happy camper. Um, I usually get, it used to be between five and six. I'm now getting between seven and eight. I have no idea why at changed completely randomly and as far as I can tell without reason. Uh, But I wake up when I wake up. I give myself 10 minutes to get out of bed and I do that because I'm lazy and my inclination is to lay in bed. So I need a bright line that says I get out of bed immediately without wasting time. So I'm out of bed in out of bed in 10 minutes or less, I put my gym clothes next to my bed so that the easiest answer is to put my gym clothes on. In fact, I'd have to make a conscious choice not to, which thusly would trigger um, in me a lot of um, conflict emotionally because it is my identity to immediately go to the gym to work out again, partly for cognitive optimization and then also for longevity, uh, for health and for aesthetics. Um, But working out, I think, is incredibly important. And I actually think that for anybody that wants to achieve something extraordinary in their life, that um, the third thing that you need to focus on is mindset. The first two are diet and exercise, uh, followed by mindset. So I hit the gym first and foremost. Immediately after the gym, I meditate. And the reason that I do that is because I want to practice going from the sympathetic nervous system which is fight or flight, which you're triggering in the gym through the heavy exertion, your heart rate is up, your breathing is shallow and rapid. And the idea is to very quickly switch over into the parasympathetic nervous system where you're getting into um, rest and digest, where you're calming all of that down. You're slowing your breath, your diaphragm breathing um, in through the nose, out through the mouth and really calming everything down. And I think practicing that transition is very important. And so that's why I do them back to back. But then on top of that, just meditating for any reason I think is really important. And doing that gets you into a calm and creative state which is where all of your anxiety, all of your stress is dropped down to zero. And I also think that we think on multiple levels. Uh, You've got the thinking that is truly you hear the voice and the words articulated in your mind, but you also have below that where you have the notion without the um, actual words. And then I think either below that or beside that, you also have just sort of 
uh, an emotional level of thinking where you're feeling whatever is going on. And I think that you want to quiet all of those down so that you can truly get into that calm, creative state. And I really feel the difference in my brain, which is why I think that meditating is insanely important. And I think much like fasting, it's really where you want to um, not be taxing um, your metabolic processes. And I it's not that I think. There are a lot of studies out there that show that doing that um, increases the efficiency of your mitochondria and a whole host of other benefits, um, including insulin sensitivity and on and on. Um, I think that there's a very similar effect that happens when you meditate where you're literally fasting from thought, or at least you're trying to get out of thought and into that calm, creative space um, as for as much of the time that you're meditating as possible. You're going to find that your mind wanders. It's just what the mind does, but you really can quiet it down, quiet it down. And I think in quieting it down, there is some effect. I don't know what the actual neurological effect is, um, but the effects of that, what you feel um, is a deep sense of calm, relaxation, and it's incredibly powerful for then having your most potent ideas and biggest breakthroughs. After I do that, then I do what I call thinkitating, which is leveraging that state to then process through in a very conscious way all of the things that I'm dealing with in my business or my life. And um, I won't go into too much detail on thinkitating, but basically allow yourself to actually think where in meditation you're trying not to. And then after that, um, I read, which I think is incredibly important. I think you should always be learning. I think that's really, really important to having great ideas, to solving problems, whatever it is, to getting better. Uh, you need to just always, always, always be learning. And then after that, I have a list called important things and I go through my important things list. And that is um, literally just a list of the most important things I could be doing for my business. And the reason that I keep a list is because I don't ever want to waste time in a transitional moment trying to think of what I should be doing or focusing on. I want that list. Um, also, studies have shown that journaling before you go to bed simply by listing the things you need to do allows you to sleep. And so this may be one of the reasons that I have such an easy time falling asleep is I know everything that I should be working on, everything that I've thought about is not only written down, it's in priority order. And so there isn't a cycle of my brain like remember, 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 which I think is part of what keeps people awake. So there you have it. That's my morning routine. After that, then I get ready and um, I often read, by the way, because I do audible books while I'm getting ready. I read through making my first meal, which comes after all of that. Um, and there you have it. That's my morning routine. And I think behind it. All right. Next question is from Daniel Breeze. Hi, Tom. I go to bed at nine. My man. Alarm at 530. Shame on you. It's still not enough sleep. Get more. <laughs> I want to wake up without the alarm. Any tips on how to feel rested with less sleep? I have absolutely no tips on how to feel rested with less sleep. My only tip is how to feel rested, which is to get as much sleep as you need. Now, while it's really annoying to me that right now I'm sleeping seven and eight hours versus my normal five and six, it is what I have to do to be cognitively optimized, and therefore I do it. Um, I won't say that I don't complain, as you hear me doing right now, but I think that it the priority remains being cognitively optimized, not being tired. I think being tired is a unique form of torture that I absolutely despise, and to get the most out of my day, to make the most of whatever hours I'm awake, I would rather be super sharp and well-rested than try to wake up really early, be tired, be slow, uh, be miserable, and quite frankly, not have the ideas coming from my subconscious, which I find is slowed or even muted if I'm too tired. So while there are rare occasions where I will set an alarm, I wake up to an alarm certainly less than 10 times a year. So a year, a year. So 
if you can do what I've done without setting alarm more than 10 times, then I just truly, truly go to bed early, sleep as much as you need. Now, what you're probably going to find is in the first couple of months, you're going to sleep a lot. You might be sleeping eight to 10 hours because you've been so sleep deprived. Uh, but sleep is just incredibly, incredibly important. I read a study. This is so fascinating. Your brain um, reduces in size. So think of it as, as inflammation and then reducing that inflammation, not actually, um, you know, growing and shrinking, but it, it reduces in size, which allows it to flush out. Oh, I'm going to use the word toxin. I hate that word. Uh, but it allows it to flush the system clear of things that it wants to get out of the brain. And the only way that it can do that is by, um, reducing that inflammation, which it only does when you sleep. So that's, but one of the many things that they're beginning to uncover is incredibly potent and powerful about sleep in terms of its relationship to the brain. So I just cannot stress enough, get whatever sleep you need, uh, suck it up. If you have to start going to bed at eight in order to make it to work on time, do it. If you have to go to bed at seven, do it. And I know people always push back. I need to unwind all of that. No, if you're watching me, I make the assumption that what you need is to become great. It is to really actuate and actualize all of the potential that you have latent within you and that you're trying to do something extraordinary with your life. And you're trying to do that, by the way, because it is the thing that makes you feel most alive, not because there is some moral imperative to do so. So that's what you need to do. And the only way that you're going to be able to get that is to get your sleep. So then beyond that, I will say, eat right. Eating is massive. I don't think that exercise um, gives me more energy unless I take a day off. So if I've been working out like a demon and I'm in great shape and then I take a day off, on the day off, I actually have more energy. Other people say that they feel more energized from working out that just has not been my experience in 15 years of working out. So I won't propagate that myth, um, at least for me. Um, my wife, on the other hand, does feel more energized. So hey, there you have it. Um, but eating right, exercising, and then getting your thoughts in the right place that, and then getting your sleep. That's the only way that I know how to feel energized. All right. Next question is from Ian Grigsby. Tom, I am currently a PhD math student. That sounds hard. Uh, at Baylor. Congratulations. This is the first time I've tried to train my focus on one thing versus being a jack of all trades. It's as with anything good, tough, any advice. So yes. So my advice is regardless of whether something is hard or not, because even something that comes easily to you, let's say that mathematics comes easily to you, or I'll use my example. So for me, um, speaking was always the thing that I got early wins in. So even when I was young, I was able to um, talk fairly rapidly, but Ultimately, you're getting to the point where you've maxed out your natural ability and now you're trying to push it. You're trying to go beyond. And that got hard as hell for me. And I spent a lot of hours practicing, practicing, always at the edge of my competence, which the real danger being at the edge of your competence, if you don't have a growth mindset, is it makes you feel badly about yourself, which makes you want to go into the psychological immune system and begin to protect yourself from that. So as you're doing math problems that are hard for you and really start making you feel stupid, which is exactly what happens, you're going to want to back off. You're going to want want to go into places that you're better, stronger, that you have, uh, you're dipping into your more natural talents and you're not pushing those to the um, edge of your abilities, but that's the way to keep your life small. That is not the way to become extraordinary. So you really just have to admit this is going to be hard. This is going to make me feel stupid. This is going to make me feel badly about myself, but on a long enough timeline, if I keep doing this, if I keep practicing, I keep pushing myself, what I'm doing is extending 
extending that region of where you start to feel stupid. So it may, you know, right now it's maybe something that's relatively basic for an advanced mathematician, but five years from now, 10 years from now, that begins to extend really far and your mathematics becomes incredibly usable and potent in your life and you're able to do things that other people are not able to do. And when you look back, and this is one of the few times that I encourage people to really look back on their life. When you look back at where you were like six months ago, it's not often that exciting. Continuing to push that, continuing to drive forward, continuing to live at that edge and soothe yourself with the identity and building pride around being a learner instead of being smart, good, whatever, that you, you will just go so far and it will be so impactful on your life. So that is my advice. All right, next question is from Clutch Media. Clutch, I've seen you in the comment feed before. Uh, thank you for engaging on Instagram is where I think of you. So thank you for joining today on um, YouTube. Uh, Tom, hope you're doing well. I am, thank you very much for asking. Can you speak about a way or ways you would go about cutting off a relationship with a friend and business partner when the partner just has not been reliable? <sighs> Ooh. Okay. So a friend is pretty easy um, because there's no contractual things that extend the pain in that relationship. So um, first of all, I really, really believe in principles. And by that, I mean that the truth is the highest value. So um, honestly, there's only a certain ring of my friendships that are so important to me that I would employ the principles, but let's pretend that they are, because I think this is the far more interesting way to look at this. So if somebody's really a part of my inner circle and I care deeply about them and I want them in my life, um, before I would distance myself from them, I would first just tell them exactly how I'm feeling. I would point out examples of times where I felt like, hey, I was counting on you to be there, which by the way, I would have been abundantly clear about my expectations, wanting them to be there, whatever the case may be, that it's important to me. I would define those words. So I wouldn't just say, hey, it's important to me that you, you know, whatever, uh, come out to dinner tonight or meet me for bowling or whatever it is that you're doing. I would define the word important and say, look, I'll never be abusive of this. I'm not going to say this every time. I get we're all busy. Um, and so maybe it's one out of 50 times that um, it's actually important to me that you show up. But when I say it's important, um, if you're not going to be able to make it, just tell me right away so that I know I'm not counting on you, et cetera, um, and, and really define those terms. So if I've said, hey, this is important, they failed to show up, I'm going to tell them in real time exactly how that makes me feel, why that's troubling to me, um, what that, you know, makes me want to do, whether that's to not continue to invite them or not invest in them as a friendship or whatever, I would say all of those things. And so being really truthful, being really open, being honest, being direct, um, I think is, is the only way to have a truly deep and meaningful relationship. Um, so I'm of the ilk where I have um, a lot of acquaintances and I have very few real deep friendships. And those real deep friendships are the people that I really deploy the principles on. I explain to them what the principles are. Uh, if you want to read them for yourself, read Ray Dalio's principles. I think that they apply not only to business, but to personal relationships. In fact, I've deployed the principles nowhere more profoundly than in my marriage. Uh, so check it out. But yeah, so having that high level honesty, I think is really, really important. Um, and then if they're not living up to it, then I would just be honest about that and say, look, I get it. Maybe that you're too busy for this. And I totally understand. And meeting them with compassion, by the way, and not being passive aggressive or a dick about it. It's like, look, either they're, they just don't see friendship the same way that you do, or it's not as important to them in that moment, or, or they're just not that into you, uh, which I think applies to friends as well. So, and you know, just without, uh, being weird or harsh, I would, you know, 
enjoy what time that I have with them if I want to continue to invest in that friendship. And then I wouldn't expect anything beyond that. And that's something that um, I think is, is really important is to understand where people fall on the spectrum of your friendship. Um, to meet them where they are, to enjoy them for what they have to offer, not expect them to be more than they want to be or are capable of being. Um, and yeah, so if it's just somebody that dips in and out of your life, but they're fun to be around, then enjoy them for that and don't expect them to be more. Um, and then if they're in that range and you just don't want to spend time with them because you're not getting anything out of them, then simply stop spending time with them. Um, now, when it's a business partner, this gets much more difficult and you're going to have to really look at what's going on from um, a contractual standpoint. But even before I would say just like cutting them out of your life, which is pretty simple of sitting them down and saying, hey, this partnership isn't working anymore and we need to figure out what we're going to do contractually to dissolve the relationship. Um, I would look at how do you make the relationship functional? And I think that making the relationship functional has everything to do with um, defining terms. It has to do with agreeing on values. That's really important. You may find that um, you have different languages of appreciation. So while you think they're not being reliable, that may just be something that they don't value and they don't communicate in that way. So um, there's a communication style that is acts of service. There's communication style that's quality time. And so you may be somebody that communicates in quality time. So you're thinking that they're unreliable because they don't communicate in that way. And so they don't carve out that time to really be there for you. Now, if you're saying that they're not reliable about the business, that could be something entirely different. And then that's going to be defining expectations. Here's what I expect from you, uh, the amount of time, the amount of energy, and quite frankly, what are the um, metrics that you expect them to hit? And then all of the sort of wishy-washy stuff goes away. If you guys agree on what the metrics are and the metrics aren't being hit, it becomes very easy to have the conversation of this partnership is not working out. Okay, I'll leave it there. All right, next question is from Sim Land. What is up, dude? Um, you're gonna be here soon, which is crazy and cool, and I can't wait to meet you face to face. Uh, Tom, what do you make of the quote from George Bernard Shaw? Life isn't about finding yourself, life is about creating yourself. This is fucking crazy. I just did this on Alexa. Did it already come out? And is that why he's bringing it up? Or are we just um, simpatico? Not entirely sure. I think it's an amazing quote. And I think it is 100% true. And this to me is like the real gap that people have between where they are and what they want to accomplish. They think that it is an archeological dig that they're going to find within themselves things that have been laying dormant somehow. And that's just not how this works. Um, you're going to craft yourself. You're going to have a vision of the person that you want to become. You may even have a model of somebody who's like that, somebody that you look up to, somebody that you inspire to be like. And you're going to map out your life, your decisions, your beliefs, your actions, everything on what you believe is going to get you to that state. Um, and somebody I was just talking to, who was it? And they said that when you, um, what you need to do is describe what success looks like. Like, what would I be saying as I'm describing to somebody this thing being successful? I think it was Ray Kurzweil. And then back into that. So if the press release, if you will, of this success were X, Y, Z, like what would I need to be saying and writing into that press release and then actually go and act in accordance with that? That to me is how you become the person that you want to become is what does that person act like? And then start acting like that. So um, I don't think it matters who you are. I don't think it matters what situation you were born into. I don't think it matters what your natural talents and inclinations are. I think it only matters what you craft into your life. I think excitement can be crafted. Um, I think that love can be crafted. Now, because I know that that one is controversial and slightly misleading, I think all of this stuff starts from a flicker of interest. And then like with my wife on our first date, I was like, whoa, this chick is super interesting. Now, 
I don't believe in love at first sight. It certainly was not love on the first date. But going into that and fanning those flames and feeding into this notion of I want to be around her, I want to spend more time with her, like literally fanning that and staring at it and investing in that, like by investing in a desire to spend more time with him, her and cultivating like this want to be around her in like replaying in my mind the time that we had spent together and all of that stuff, it really begins to turn into this bonfire because you're obsessing on it, you're pointing at it, you're looking at it, you're cultivating, you're crafting it, you're creating it as George Bernard Shaw said. So that I think is really, that is the truth and that people want um, love to be like this effortless thing that just happens automatically. I don't think it works like that. Same with excitement. I think all of this stuff peters out if you don't fan those flames. So I think you craft everything in your life. All right, next question is from Charles B. This is on YouTube. What are your views on emotional intelligence and how much control do you think we have over our emotional states? All right, my views on emotional intelligence are that it is insanely important. And I believe that you can get hold of your emotional states. I think it is very hard. Actually, I was was about to say it's very hard not to feel the emotion, but even that will dim with time as you craft your identity. So at first, it starts with identity. I think behavior... Um, is born of identity and your values. So as you begin to shape your values, which are a decision, as you begin to shape your identity, which is a choice, and you craft it, going back to the last question, as you begin to do that stuff, I think that over time, your emotions to a given situation will change very dramatically. Um, so that's, that is an important thing to recognize. And then I think that by um, developing your self-awareness, by understanding that you're having an emotion, processing it in real time, saying, okay, I'm having this emotion, what is this emotion? What is the cause of this emotion? And really at the cause level, being willing to admit when it's um, insecurity, pettiness, jealousy, whatever the case may be, being able to really truly admit whatever deficiency, inadequacy, um, just general lameness that exists in your personality. Like if you're willing to be honest about that, then you can go, okay, what is it um, that I'm lacking or believe I'm lacking or whatever that's causing me to have this cascade? And if you can nip that in the bud by changing your identity, your values, whatever, your belief system, all the things that make that up um, because you want to change that because you think that whatever emotional state you're having is disempowering, um, then you can diminish the amount of time that you experience that. And the idea being to start recognizing the emotion very fast, um, recognizing what it is, the cause and addressing that cause through what I call the mental pachinko machine, which is a belief system of things that take a negative belief and insecurity, jealousy, pettiness, whatever, and turn it into something positive. Um, getting very good at that. And my goal with myself, and I'm definitely not hundred percent at this, but, um, I've gotten so much better over the years is to not even let that emotion register on my face. So I may feel it, but so quickly the Pachenko machine takes over and I flip that negative thing into something positive. So, um, that's very important. I think that humans can get insanely good at that and you will be shocked at how many emotions you can get control of, um, and flip or use them as a trigger for an empowering behavior. So you may have an insecurity, that's the emotion, but you use that emotion as a trigger to trigger an empowering behavior. So I'll give you an example. Um, it's maybe a slightly weak example, but when I'm at the dentist, uh, that shit hurts. Even when they numb you, like even if they're just cleaning your teeth, that shit hurts. Uh, and I hate that. It's such a weird pain. So 
I find that that pain triggers this like desire to recoil, to get out of there, to curl up on my mother's lap and cry like a baby. Uh, but I use that very negative emotion, um, which does not make me feel good about myself to literally lean into the pain, to open my mouth wider. And then in doing that, that makes me feel proud of myself that I'm not shying away from pain, that I'm not slinking away from it. And if I'm willing to do it on something that is obviously positive, make sure that you have healthy gums and teeth, uh, and I will do it in other areas of my life where it's also empowering. So, um, that, that is one example. I don't know why that one came to my mind right now, uh, but that's one example of ways that you can flip something that starts as this negative recoil, want to get away from and turns it into something empowering. All right. Next question. Nicole Page, YouTube. What are your thoughts and suggestions on creating better communication in relationships, i.e. getting over the fear of confrontation and being able to hold the people around you to a higher standard? It's interesting. At the beginning of that question, I thought you were talking about intimate relationships, uh, which is not necessarily what you're talking about. So um, fear of confrontation, how would I get over that? So part of that fear is coming from you have a vision of yourself that you're worried will be diminished because you will either be unable to convince people of your point of view or you'll be unable to look cool or they're going to browbeat you into submission or whatever it is that's causing that fear of that confrontation. And I would say instead of trying to come out the other side of a confrontation looking cool or being right or any of that, um, go into that confrontation with a desire to find out what is really true, what is really optimal. There may be um, a realization about yourself, which is, hey, maybe I'm not good at um, making my case and maybe I need to focus on getting better at that. And so if that's the thing that triggers your insecurity going into that, and that's why you have a fear of confrontation, go into it telling yourself, and this is one way that I've addressed this literally in my own life, instead of thinking, oh, I need to perform well in this, I'm gonna go into this as practice. So hey, if I totally mess this up and embarrass myself and I don't think of the cool things that I wanted to say or the very convincing things that I would have said, um, you know, and I think of them an hour later, which is very common. Um, I'll just go in and, and remember, this is practice. I'm going to try maybe a new technique. Uh, maybe that new technique is simply lowering my anxiety levels. So I'm going to go into this. I really don't want this confrontation. Fuck, this sucks. I don't want to do this, but I'm going to go into it. And I'm just going to practice getting out of the sympathetic nervous system into the parasympathetic nervous system. So as that fear of confrontation kicks in and my heart rate starts speeding up and my breathing gets irregular, I'm just literally going to, hey, this conversation isn't about winning the argument. This conversation is about practicing calming myself down, diaphragm breathing, staying aware of my thoughts, not answering too fast and you know trying to give a fast answer instead of a thoughtful answer. So in going into practice those things, I find that the fear of anything, whether it's confrontation or just general anxiety, is going to be lowered. So I think that that's um, really, really helpful. And I do fear that we scrolled off the question and there was a second part to this. Can we go back up? Thank you. Um, being able to hold people around you to a higher standard. Okay, so that to me is, is totally different. And this is all gonna come down to what your relationship is to them. Um, sadly, in a business environment, depending on where you are in the company hierarchy, you may not be able to hold people, hold people to a higher standard. You can certainly set a high standard through your behavior, and that's what I would encourage you to do. And I think that people over time always rec recognize the high performers. They certainly recognize the people that are actually making things better. Even if people are just blanket stealing your ideas, if you've got enough good ideas that they want to steal from you and they're actually paranoid of being without you and they have fear of loss and you've gotten that good at generating amazing ideas or moving things forward or whatever, um, 
that won't go unnoticed. So you've got a lot of leverage if you're able to generate those kinds of ideas. It puts you in a position of power. Um, and while not always easy to figure out the political maneuverings to move up and around somebody that's just stealing your ideas, um, it starts with being so good that they fear losing you. So um, I would focus on that. So lead by example. Um, and yeah, when you're the one that's delivering and you really don't abuse this because you can turn into a dick real fast by trying to hold people to standards. Um, but when your standard is like miles above everybody else and you in a super optimistic, pleasant, um, and encouraging way say, hey, like we can accomplish X, Y, Z if we all do X, Y, Z, um, that's probably the way to do it. And if you're leading from the front and taking the hard jobs and really charging in everything with an amazing attitude and always trying to inspire and motivate those around you and be super encouraging, I think you'll find that people rise up to that. It's just fucking good leadership. All right. Next question is from Samret Sengupta. Hey, Tom, there is absolutely no goal in the world that fires me up to go after it. No passion, nothing, any suggestions. All right. So first of all, this is hearkening back to something we were discussing earlier, which is nobody starts with a passion. Some people develop a passion very early in their life, um, but they don't start there. So um, I'll give you an example of how something in my own life started. So um, as a kid, I really enjoyed watching movies. Okay. So that's that flicker of interest. And then my dad ends up bringing a camcorder home. And because I really dug movies, I thought, Oh, let me play around with this camera. And I start playing with it and it's kind of fun. And I have a friend who thinks it's kind of fun. And so we goof around on the cameras. Um, and it's kind of fun and that's it. And then we're, um, shooting some stuff. And I remember like, I just had an intuition of like where to put the camera, um, my dog just jailbroke. I'm kind of impressed right now that she was able to jump over that and half the team has come to get her. Uh, so I just found that I had that intuitive um, thing of where to put the camera and my dad made an offhanded comment and he may have been trying to tell me that I was terrible at being in front of the camera, but he said in a very sweet way instead, I actually think you're better behind the camera than you are in front of the camera. Now, um, I took that as like, whoa, he thinks I'm good behind the camera. That's amazing. And so that like feel good thing with my dad wanting to impress my dad became me really focusing on being behind the camera. And as I got better at it, then I was able to actually express myself behind the camera and then slowly over time reinvesting in that, fanning those flames, really sitting in that wanting to get great and loving the obsession and all of that, then I actually really started to get good. And in the process of gaining that mastery and fanning those flames, it became a passion, but it wasn't a passion right off the bat. So that's how literally the sort of, oh, flicker of interest, random comment from dad, desire to impress ends up becoming this massive passion of my life. So now you don't always fall in love with things like that. I'm sure there were a thousand things. My dad wanted me to be really good at cars and I fucking hated working on cars. And so that did not turn into even an interest, let alone a passion. But when you get good at that process of cultivating that, creating that, fanning those flames, investing in it, understanding the power of obsession, that obsession is a choice, that it starts with something that merely like interests you, then that turns into capturing your imagination through engagement, and then you fan those flames and it really becomes a passion. So just because you don't have one now doesn't mean that you couldn't find one, but you're going to have to invest. You're going to have to invest in 
forcing yourself to embody excitement over something, sort of exaggerating it. And there's all kinds of studies that I could um, talk about, but I will give you one brief thing, which is that there is a mechanism in the mind where whatever your reaction is, however big it is, however theatrical your reaction is, your brain goes, oh, it must have been worth that reaction, which is why when people get really pissed off, they only further invest in that they were truly wronged or whatever. So if you do the same thing with excitement and embody that excitement, push that excitement out, share that, try to radiate that excitement, you'll find that your brain goes, whoa, this must have really been worth that level of excitement. So that thing that only started as an interest really becomes something. All right, that's enough on that. Uh, next question is from Michipreneur, a very clever name. Um, I'm motivated and ready to suffer, but I tend to stumble on actually finding what I think is a good model or idea. Any thoughts or strategies on finding the business that jives with your passion? When it comes to platforms that will help you run a business, there is no shortage of options on the market. But if you want to use the best, most advanced, and most efficient platform out there, you need to be using Shopify. For whatever and wherever you want to sell, from launching to going international, Shopify is the global commerce platform that will help you grow at every stage of your business. With award-winning customer service, the internet's highest converting checkout page, and a suite of integrated AI tools, Shopify is your all-in-one platform to quickly and efficiently take your business to the next level. I love everything about Shopify because it makes it so easy to start, run, and grow a business. Shopify powers more than 10% of all U.S. e-commerce because businesses that want to grow quickly use Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial at shopify.com slash impact, all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash impact right now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash impact. In today's highly unpredictable and rapidly changing world, the smartest move you can make from a financial standpoint is to actually understand how money works and how markets move. Because if you wanna have any chance of investing your money wisely and growing your financial portfolio, you have to make a profit. And the only way that you're going to do that is either by setting and forgetting or actually understanding what's going on at a macro level. So whether you're a seasoned investor or someone looking for extra guidance, today's sponsor, Yahoo Finance, has got you covered with all the tools, data, and news that you need in one place to grow your knowledge base around what is happening in the world of finance and to make sure that you have the right goals and you're executing well. Yahoo Finance makes it easy to consolidate your accounts so you can effectively and efficiently manage your entire portfolio. Personally, I love how straightforward their platform is to use. It is very simple to get the information that I need. And Impact Theory's own chief financial officer is exactly the same, spending time helping me frame exactly what is going on from a global perspective so that I'm making the smartest decisions that I can. I definitely recommend that you check out Yahoo Finance for comprehensive financial news and analysis. Visit the incredible brand that so many great investors use at yahoofinance.com. It's the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Once again, guys, head there now, yahoofinance.com. If getting your hands dirty and taking good care of your car or cars is a passion of yours, then eBay Motors is here for the ride because I'm sure you remember when you first saw the potential in that beauty. And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100 
thousand miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly with eBay Motors. Brake kits, LED headlights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Okay. So, uh, what is the real way to answer this question? You have a passion, but you don't know how to build a business. So this is going to be intersecting circles. Think of a Venn diagram. So you're going to be looking at what is my passion? Um, what is a need that the world has and what can I monetize? So in the area where those three things meet, that's going to be the business opportunity. So, um, I, I'll walk you through what I did with impact theory, but it actually didn't start with the, the passion that I have for the path, which is where I think people get confused. So I, I have deep passion for the path that we're employing right now, which is um, media, filmmaking, TV, storytelling, all of that. But the actual goal, the mission is to pull people out of the matrix, meaning to help people get rid of that limiting belief system that's holding them back. Because the thing that I, I just, I am over the moon, I get the, the biggest chemical reaction from neurochemical reaction is that moment of awakening where somebody realizes that they can do something that a minute ago they didn't think they were capable of because they simply shifted their belief system. And then that opens this whole world of ways that they could go and grow and get better and all of that. And that it, ha- it will have real world impact on themselves and their family. Now, when that happens and somebody turns to me and says, dude, it is because of you that I'm able to do this. That is the fucking juice for me. Nothing gets me as excited as that. Nothing amps me up like that. Literally, absolutely fucking nothing, which by the way, if you see me out in the world, trust me when I say you're not interrupting me. I absolutely love it when people come up and say, Hey man, because of the content I'm doing this or whatever, or dropping in comments, like I fucking love that stuff. So that is incredibly meaningful to me. That is the absolute juice. That is the thing that I'm just over the moon about. Now I'm starting with that. Okay. That's the thing that I love. Now, where is the business opportunity? What can I monetize? What's the problem that the world needs to solve? Now, I really believe that there is an, just an unimaginable amount of human suffering that comes from having a belief system that holds you back. The easiest way for me to think about it is inner cities. Now, this is not the only way that this manifests, but it is certainly one of them. What your zip code is when you're born has such a freakish determinant on your life. It is so terrifying to me. I absolutely hate that. Um, And this really just became incredibly clear to me at Quest when we were um, manufacturing and working in the inner cities and just seeing these incredible, extraordinary human humans with like all these beautiful stories and tragic stories and all this potential. And I just knew they weren't going to do anything with it because of their belief system. And so I thought, okay, that's, that is a huge problem that when people realize what they're really capable of, like they're lit on fire in a way like nothing else. So what is a business opportunity around this? And then what we came to was building out the studio because it's the only way that I believe people are going to change their belief system is through narrative. That's just how humans work. And so I didn't want to leverage or I didn't want to change behavior. I wanted to leverage it. So what's a way that people already assimilate their belief system. They assimilate their belief system through their parents, through their friends and through, um, media stories. So I knew that, well, I can't impact their friends or their family, but I can impact the stories that we're telling. So 
That's where we started. It's a massive business already. Um, so telling stories that I think people will be more into than the next story, building a community around that, creating social content that I think is better than the other stuff. Um, all of that becomes that monetizable event. So uh, you have to get good at identifying that, walking backwards, starting with what is my goal? What do I really care about? What am I? Uh, my dad gave me a plaque and it said, find something that you would die for and live for it. Um, so find that thing. Like what's that thing that amps you up and then work backwards into that opportunity. All right. Next question is from my Mike Persicilli, Persicilli. Hi, Tom. I often have trouble communicating concepts I read to others in a clear, concise way. Is there a specific process you take when trying to convey a concept to an audience more effectively? Yes. So you need to understand, like, what are the building blocks? What are the basic concepts that they would need to understand to really get the big concept related to things that they already know so that you're tying it through analogy, metaphor to things that they already understand and then meet them with compassion. Don't be, uh, don't talk down to them. Um, really try to share your own raw enthusiasm for this idea, why it is that to you it's worthwhile explaining or getting people to understand. And then also always, always, always be open to being wrong. So um, have strong convictions loosely held. When you go into something like that with the humility and excitement and then breaking things down into their constituent parts, using analogy, using metaphor to, to tie it to something that they already know and understand, I think then you can really communicate something. Um, don't try to be clever. Don't try to come across as smart. Really just try to break the concepts down into their basic building blocks. And then here's one thing that like people really don't think about. You will notice that I'm doing it right now and I wasn't even thinking about it until this minute. Um, you need to speak in a way that draws people in. If I answered every question like this and every now and then I'll interview somebody and their answers are like this and I want to stab myself in the face during the interview because the human mind is meant to respond to emphasis, changes in inflection, rhythm, all of that stuff. So if you can find a way to say it in a way that will also draw people in, um, they will say that you're charismatic, but it's really just understanding how to um, make people feel um, encouraged, welcomed, and then uh, draw them in with the way that you're speaking. All right. So next question is from Star Hardgrove. Can you explain how you explain your t-shirt to people? I find I get pushback and backlash when I say that to peeps. All right. Star Hardgrove. So first of all, welcome to the club. I wrote an article. Now, I want you to imagine when I first decided I was going to start creating content, this is probably, God, three and a half years ago. When I first decided that I was going to start creating content, I, I thought, what is like the most powerful, important idea that I have? And I'm going to start with that. I'm going to write from that position. And the thing that I came up with was this article about how if I were hit by a drunk driver, I would blame myself. And I go into all this detail about like how the situation ends up. So I'm literally like, there's nothing I could do. And that I knew any sane person would say when I asked, whose fault is that accident? Everybody, insurance companies, everybody is gonna say, oh dude, it's a drunk driver's fault, 100%. So when the punchline came, that it was my fault. I thought people are gonna be liberated. They're gonna realize, oh my God, this makes so much sense. Because if I take ownership, even in that moment when everybody else is gonna say, no way, that's not your fault. If I take ownership in that moment, I'm in power of everything in my life. I'm, while I may be a victim, 
or why I may be victimized, excuse me, I'm never a victim. And that choosing to play the role of the victim is my choice. And I can even in that moment choose to be empowered to remember that I could have done something differently, including not getting into a car that I'm always in control. The backlash I got on that article, which I was trying to give people the gift that had taken me from scrounging in my couch cushions to find enough change to put gas in my car to building a billion dollar business. Like that was the thing. That was one of the biggest breakthroughs that I had. It was one of the most important realizations ever that I think anyone can have. And people flipped the fuck out. And like the comments were gnarly. And I was like, wow. So Here's the reality. I preach to the fucking choir. I am not trying to convince people. The truth of the fucking world is that until you take ownership of everything in your life, until you stop making excuses and blaming anybody, you will never go as far as you could go. Never. I don't care. I don't give a fuck about fairness, any of that bullshit. Like the reality is, if that's how you think, you will go less far than somebody who takes ownership of everything, no matter how absurd. That is the truth of the world. I don't know what people want me to say. If you go underwater and try to breathe without an apparatus, you will fucking drown. That's the truth. Whether people want to agree with me on that or not is totally irrelevant into my life. So it's a very energetic way of saying, I don't try to explain my t-shirt to people. And if they don't like it, hey, full respect. The response that I just gave you, I would never give to somebody because I actually feel bad that people are stuck there. Like the whole point of impact theory is to make content that hits people, not the social content to make narrative content that somebody who is antagonistic to change, who's antagonistic to a growth mindset, lives in this world that we create, these stories that we tell, and they admire the characters, and they watch the characters go on a journey, and they learn a lesson of empowerment from those characters that makes it impossible not to begin to adopt that belief system because they see how powerful it is but I don't spend time trying to convince people, explain it, nothing. This is my bat symbol in the sky. And I wear this shirt, not to convince anybody, but to find the person who walks up and says, I totally agree with that. And then I know that person is my people. They are part of my tribe. And I want them in my life in some way, shape or form. So don't worry about convincing people, meet them with compassion. Don't, don't, proselytize or any of that, understand that a fixed mindset is its own punishment um, and simply wear it to remind yourself of something powerful and to find other people who think like you think. All right. Next question from X bouncers. All right. Hey, Tom, what would your advice be for a 24 year old who just went back to college and is trying to optimize their schedule, developing good organizational skills, such as writing things down? Um, so beyond my morning routine, so the things that we've already covered in this episode, and I'll run quickly through them, cognitively optimized, which means getting sleep, work out, eat right. Those are massive. Write everything down. Sounds like you're already on top of that. Schedule your time. If it's not in your calendar, it is not a priority. So start scheduling your days and you will see proof positive what you actually think is important because it is the things you will actually give time to. So that's really critical. Keep an important things list so that you never waste time in transitional moments trying to think of what you should be doing next. You should have a list in order. Remember, you can never have two top priorities. So priorities need to be put in order. That doesn't mean that there aren't multiple things that aren't important, 
but there can only be one top priority. So the important things list is in order. Boom, as soon as you have downtime, a free moment, um, which by the way, there won't be a whole lot of them because they'll be scheduled and things like my important things time is one of the very, in fact, it is, it is almost always the very first thing that I schedule. So my schedule right now through the next several months has important things already blocked out of my schedule. So if you look at my schedule, like for today, it's fucking mayhem. But the thing that I put first would be important things. So as you look out, the farther you get away from the current day, the less and less things are on my schedule, but there are already huge blocks for important things. Now, important things with the air quotes is that list that I have of the most important things that I could be doing to move the business forward. Keep that list, whatever it is, what books you should be reading, things you should be studying for, um, you know, based on your class load and all of that. And then as soon as you have time that you haven't already scheduled, or when you hit a block that's scheduled for the important things that you just then go down that list. All right. So uh, that's my advice. Next question is from Jeremy Stickney. Hi, Tom. How do your goals shift from ending? How did your goals shift from ending metabolic disease at Quest to focusing more on the mind and pulling people out of the matrix and starting impact theory? What was your thought process? I want to pull people out of the matrix. Now, I really believe that part of that is diet and exercise. That's hugely important. And I felt that we'd made absolutely massive strides there and the business was going and we'd had just all kinds of absurd financial success and it was amazing. And I was in the position where I could ask myself, um, I can do anything now and what do I want to do? And so I started inside quest and I was super stoked on it. And people were asking why the hell is the protein bar guy talking about mindset? That's super fucking weird. Um, my partners didn't share the vision for that either. It was going to be very expensive to, um, execute against that, to make the brand of quest flexible enough that it could incorporate mindset. I'd be dragging my partners along on that journey, which isn't fair to them. And I have deep concerns about any brand's flexibility and um, getting uh, the, the great irony, and this will explain the struggle, the great irony of my life. When I was at Quest, people were like, why is the protein bar guy talking about mindset? Now that I've done impact theory, we're about to launch a new show called Health Theory, and we're not gonna be able to launch it on my channels because people wanna know, why is the mindset guy talking about protein bars? So, Oh, the fucking irony. So brands are a thing. They, people go to a brand for certain things. They like, you guys think of me in a certain way. You think of me all about mindset. That is one part of my personality. And that is certainly the core central focus of the brand of impact theory and the brand of Tom Bilyeu. But that is not the sum total of my existence. The only thing that I focus on all of that. So getting people to understand a brand in a much broader context, I think it's probably futile. And so rather than trying to do that, I realized that if I was going to do the thing that is most honest in um, the thing that makes me feel most alive, which is pulling people out of the matrix, I had to spin it off as a separate brand. And so here we are. Um, yeah, that's it. All right, next question, Stephen Davis. In the beginning, did you work as much as you do now or have you improved over time? How have you increased productivity and discipline to work 18 hours a day? All right, so it depends on when you're starting that clock because when I was um, just out of college, I was insanely lazy and I'm so embarrassed and I never, I actually don't want myself to lose sight of how lazy I was, nor do I want people who follow me to lose sight of how lazy I was because I want people to understand you can become anything you want to become. You create who you are. You don't discover it. We talked about that earlier. 
So that is really, really important, but I used to be insanely lazy. Now, as I began to change my identity and strive to become the person that I wanted to become instead of focusing on who I was, then I realized that being lazy and giving into that was not going to take me where I wanted to go. It didn't make me feel more alive. And so as I fed into the things that made me feel alive, as I fanned those flames, as I changed my identity, made demands of myself, altered my belief system, and really began to invest emotionally by rewarding myself for my ability to go hard, to work, to push forward on things that I really believe in, to invest in things that make me feel alive, to make the demand that the thing that I'm working my ass off for is something that I really believe in. And that's why, man, do not follow me nor listen to my advice if you don't love what you do. Because if you don't love what you do and you work 18 hours a day, you are a fucking fool and you will hate your life and you will look back with nothing but regret. So the last thing I want is somebody to take my advice on the surface and miss the part where I say, find something you would die for and live for it. Make the demand that the way you make your living, the way you earn your money is doing something that you care deeply about that gives you more energy than it takes. Now, if you have all of that in place, you cannot accept weakness from yourself. You need to be pushing forward. You need to make huge demands of yourself because that is how you will optimize your abilities. That is how you will actually uh, um, actuate your potential and do the things you want to do. And gaining skills and getting better at something is what's going to allow you to actually have the kind of impact that you want to have. Now, when you have that core, when you understand that the harder you work, the more reverberations you can have in the world. Remember, my very definition of power is you close your eyes, you imagine a world, a world that is better than the one that you currently live in, one that you want to be real. And then you open your eyes and you have the ability to make that world come true. That's power. That is power. If you want to cultivate that power in your life, it comes down to busting your ass to gain skills that matter to you and live in service, not only of yourself, but of other people. So that's how I increased my productivity and discipline because I care about what I'm doing. It makes me feel alive. It makes me feel energized. It is exciting. I wake up excited to see if I can pull this off. I wake up excited to work hard to get better because I know that it actually has real world implications. So I didn't start this way. I don't think anybody does. You have to cultivate it. You create this stuff and it all starts with cultivating that passion. All right. Next question is from Dr. Jack Callahan. How can I deal with an insecure mom, mom technically, and aggressive and stubborn stepdad who both say I'm the worst part of the family? Should I be selfish and focus on myself? I also use the 80-20 and it's amazing. Okay, that's awesome. So 80-20, 80% of your time in the beautiful, the things you're grateful for, all the things you're trying to make come true in your life, 20% chip on your shoulder, fuck you, I'm gonna succeed no matter what anybody says, dark side. Never spend more than 20% of your time there, it becomes super corrosive. All right, so... Um, I'll just say that if you can get out of this situation, like if you live with them, um, I would get out immediately. Second, I would meet them with compassion and in no way, shape or form, let them influence how I think about myself. So anybody that can actually say you're the worst part of this family, a, that is so horrific and cruel that it doesn't make any sense 
to say, because the only hope you could have by saying that is to diminish somebody. Now, if you wanted to lay out metrics and say, hey, as a family, can we all agree these are going to be our goals? Then you may say, hey, some of your behaviors are moving us away from those goals. So I really want to talk about that. And I want to see how that we can address them because I know that you could, since you agree on what these goals are, I know that we could get your behavior in alignment with something that makes that better and you're a valued and loved member, right? Like there is a way to handle that if somebody has behaviors that don't make sense. And maybe you do. But saying something like you're the worst part of this family is so corrosive and ridiculous um, that already it just shows a fundamental lack of understanding of human empathy and human psychology. But this is where I think you bring your understanding of human empathy and human psychology to understand that somebody that can say that, like there is a negativity in them. There is an unhappiness, a sadness, an insecurity, um, a sense of being ineffective because the only thing they know how to do is lash out and hurt that I, I would meet them with compassion. Now, I would meet them with silent compassion. I'll be really fucking honest with you because I'm not gonna try to convince them. I'm not gonna argue with them. I would be uh, like water. And so if they tried to push me, uh, it's very hard to push water. So I would, yeah, I would just let that roll off me. And I think you have to get very good at that, at understanding what people are capable of, at understanding where they are mentally, emotionally, um, and not try to worry about convincing them. I don't fall for the impossible to please father routine, um, which I know a lot of people do, but that is not something that resonates with me. So when I realize that somebody is impossible to please or that they're broken in their own ways, I don't spend my time trying to convince them uh, of my worth or anything else. It's I will love them for what they have to offer. And I think that totally writing off your um, mom would be very very, very difficult for you. There's just something hardwired in us to make that next to impossible. Um, but I certainly wouldn't expect praise from her. I would not allow her to, um, hold any of my self-worth or anything. Um, and you, you have to totally detach yourself from that. It is not easy. There is much sadness that's going to be around that, but I think that it is absolutely imperative, um, that you not take her opinion of you seriously. Now separate the message from the messenger. If your mother ever has, even in a hateful way, something that is real and something that you want to address in your life, don't be afraid to stare at that, accept that and make that change and grow and get better. Um, but if she's saying things like you're the worst thing, worst part of the family, chances are she's never going to recognize your improvement. So don't improve in the hopes of getting approval from her. Don't improve with the hopes of getting uh, approval from her. It just won't work. All right. Um, we have very little time left. Probably time for one more question from Mia Jaffrey. Hi, Tom. How do I maintain faith in myself when the people in power in my field have very low trust in me, even when I have proved my ability multiple times? All right. So here's the reality of being so good that they can't ignore you. If they're ignoring you, then chances are you haven't proven yourself as far as you think you have. Um, and so that's the reality. I would highly encourage you to watch Genius, um, the story of Albert Einstein, season one. Um, what he does when the establishment tells him that he's like a total jackass and he doesn't know what he's talking about and he barely passes college and everybody just thinks that he's this flighty guy and he can't get a job at a university and so he's working as a patent clerk. Watch what he does to get acceptance and become the Albert Einstein that we all know. He doesn't publish one groundbreaking um, theory. He publishes like three or four in the span of something like 18 months. They end up still to this day being the most important documents um, or breakthroughs in physics. And it's like he did it literally because he had a chip on his shoulder and people wouldn't pay attention. And so he had to go that far to prove to people beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was a real deal, that he had insights that people weren't taking seriously. So 
my thing is, if you haven't gone that far, if you can still be ignored, if your detractors have enough ammunition to shut you down, you just haven't gone far enough. And I get it. That is not what people want to hear. But that is the God's honest truth, man. If you can be ignored, then by definition, you haven't gotten so good that you can't be ignored. Focus all of your time and attention into getting better skill acquisition. It is the only thing, the only promise I can make you. If you focus all of your time and energy into the beauty, the joy, the wonderment of skill acquisition, not from a dark or negative place, but focus on how awesome it is that as humans, we can get great at things. It's the one decision you won't regret. It is five years, 10 years down the road, whether that group of people ever recognizes you or not, you will become so much better. So focus all of your time and energy there and don't be afraid to look for another job if people in your world don't recognize you. And if it's people industry-wide that don't recognize you, then we're back to the Einstein problem. You just haven't gone far enough yet. In these next clips, I go over the actionable steps that you must take if you want to radically transform your life. All right, you guys ready? We're gonna have some fun. We're gonna take the energy, get a little bit crazy. I wanna make sure that you guys end this on a high note. And honestly, I will be wildly disappointed in myself if all I manage to do in this is inspire or motivate you. At the end of this talk, I will consider myself a failure if that's all that happens. I will consider it a win on the other hand if you guys go out and actually take action. And at the end of the day, all of us, we're not judged by our intentions. We are judged by what we actually accomplish. And your accomplishments are gonna be entirely determined by what you actually do. And my talk is going to be about that, how to take action, exactly what action is made up of, and why it's critical to recognize that humans lead with belief. And so at the end of this talk, hopefully I will get you guys to understand why right now you have everything that you need already to believe in yourself, to be capable to do something that is truly extraordinary, and we're gonna walk through that path. But for my talk to make any sense, I'm gonna to have to give you guys a little bit of my backstory. Not that I can see a whole lot, but is anybody familiar with me prior to seven seconds ago? When you learned that I wake up, wow. Well, I'm completely shocked by that. Uh, thank you, by the way. So to give those of you who don't know a little bit of background, my story goes like this. Growing up, I did not show any signs of success. My parents taught me to be a good employee, which I'll liken to the slave's mentality, to keep my head down, do as little work as possible, and avoid punishment at all costs. And that's how I started. I grew up in a family in Tacoma, Washington, that teetered between blue collar and white collar, and I was being trained to be a good employee. And when I left for college, my own mother, who's always been my biggest cheerleader, I think that's important to recognize, just quietly assumed I was going to fail. And every day since I left, by the way, my mom all but forced me to go to college, kicked me out of the nest. It was only one of, I think, two people to leave the state for my graduating class. Everybody else stayed home. I wanted to stay home. And my mom said, you need to go chase your dreams. But then every moment since then, my mom has done everything she can to get me to move back to Tacoma. And so finally one day I asked her and I said, mom, I really don't get it. Like, why? You were the one that pushed me. You were the one that kicked me out. So why are you working so hard to get me back? And she said with no malice in her heart, I just assumed you were going to fail. I assumed you were going to fail and come home, but I never wanted you to ask, what if? I have the chills on my face remembering that because that's the human condition. 
there is something inside of us that we all recognize that says we could do more. We could be more. We are capable of becoming something. But it's that path to becoming that we don't really understand. And it's that path to becoming that I want to talk about today. I love the theme of this event, Pivot, making a change while keeping your center. That to me really is what life is all about. But that's, that's the hype. Now, how do we get into the tactical realities of that? And to explain that, I'm going to walk you through some of my story. So my story starts when I go to film school. USC film school, statistically speaking, is harder to get into than Harvard Law. And I managed to get in. I had taken one of the teachers out who was on the acceptance committee, and I said, look, I have really terrible SAT scores. I got a 990 on my SATs, by the way. I took it twice. That is my combined score. Monkeys with feces just rubbing it on there get better scores than that. And I was mortified. I went to the committee to find out what I needed to do to get into film school, which was my dream, the thing that I most wanted in this world. And they said, hey, as long as you've got good grades and you have a 1300 on your SATs, no problem. And I was devastated because I was so far from that. So I took one of the teachers out and I said, look, I have a confession. I got really bad SAT scores. I took it twice. Look, I'm just not good on testing, la, the whole story. And he was like, oh, who cares? He was like, there's two points of acceptance. One, as an incoming freshman, where, yeah, we look at your SAT scores, but the other is as an incoming junior, and then we don't care about your SAT scores, which are merely meant to tell us how well you do in college. So I'm just going to look at your grades. So if you get good grades, I'm not even going to look at the rest of your application. Cool. So I locked myself in my dorm room for two years. I didn't date I didn't drink a drop of alcohol. I didn't go to a party. All I did day and night was work. But what they didn't understand about me, what they didn't understand about the human animal is our ability to adapt, grow, and get better. The most fascinating thing to come out of science in a long time was when they sequenced the human genome and they realized, and by the way, they thought they were gonna solve everything. They thought they were gonna cure cancer. They thought this was gonna be the end of chronic aging. Like all of the diseases that we struggle with now, they thought they were all just gonna go away. Once we sequenced the human genome, that was gonna be it. It was gonna be like a map to Xanadu. It was gonna be amazing. And then they did it. And what they discovered was humans only have 20,000 genes. And some onions have 40,000. So they're literally looking at the data going, are we really meant to believe that an onion is more genetically complex than a human being? How can this be possible? Oh, and by the way, they were ignoring all of this stuff that they were calling junk DNA. Now, it didn't take them long to realize that that junk DNA plays a role. We are, without question, the most dominant species this world has ever seen. We are an apex predator unlike anything. You can find us in the Marianas Trench, which is the deepest part of the ocean. You can find us in the Arctic. We have literally sent human beings to the moon. And what that junk DNA really is, is epigenetics. Now, it's just a fancy word for we respond to our environment. And more aptly, we respond to stress in our environment. Anybody ever seen a professional bodybuilder? No? Okay. A professional bodybuilder hardly looks human to me. They are... It's unbelievable what they're able to do, but they show in a very real and tangible way what you can do to the human body when you understand how to put it under stress. 
Now, if you've ever been to the gym, you know that the real money is in tearing the muscle down, not building it up. You actually build up the muscle while you're sleeping based on what you've eaten. So the act of bodybuilding, of actually going into the gym is an act of tearing down so that you can create the stress so that your body can respond. Now, if you remember nothing else from my talk, remember this, humans are the ultimate adaptation machine. Just by being human, each and every one of you is capable of great change. Who you are today does not predict who you can become. Who you can become is the answer to a very simple question. What do you want? And what price are you willing to pay to get there? What do you want? And what price are you willing to pay to get there? Kobe Bryant, one of the greatest athletes of our time, would show up on game day, and if he saw anybody else at the gym as early as him, even though he was always the first on the court, he would end up practicing longer than that person. And I had the honor of interviewing one of those people one time. And he said, I went up and asked Kobe, Kobe, we have a game in an hour. Like, what are you doing out here practicing so long? And Kobe said, I needed you to know that I was willing to outwork you. And in that game, they ended up winning. And that lesson stuck with that guy forever. When you're willing to put in the work, when you're willing to take control of your environment and put yourself through the stressors required for adaptation, you literally can become anything. And my life is proof of that. So I stand here as one of the founders of a company, a company called Quest Nutrition, that we took from not existing to being valued over a billion dollars five years later. Thank you. That was the guy whose mother, not too long before that, just quietly assumed he was going to fail at college. But what I began to understand is that I could harness that ability to adapt. That we can learn in any direction. Nature has to make a choice with any species. Option number one, pre-program everything. Think of a horse. When a horse is born, it comes out, it can already run, jump, take care of itself. And then option two, be built for maximum flexibility. Be able to adapt to your environment. A horse is a horse no matter where you put it. But a human, depending on when and where it's born, depending on what it allocates its resources to, its time and attention, it can turn into a basketball player, a neurophysicist, a parent, a coach, a hairstylist. You literally get to choose. You get to decide what it is that you want to be good at. And I want you to think about the first time that you picked up a pair of scissors. You didn't know what you were doing. It didn't feel like it was an extension of your hand. But now, when you step into that role, when you show up, the way that everything feels, the way that you set it around your station. It's all like it was meant to be. It flows, you know, right where things are, how to cut somebody's hair, depending on the texture of the hair, the length, the quality, the age of the person, what they've done to it. You know it all. You know how to mix colors. All of that stuff is from training. But the irony is people don't stop and think about, hey, I got this far in this thing. 
simply by allocating the time and the energy, where else could I go? Could I pivot? And the answer to that question is yes. The human animal is designed to adapt. That is literally what we are sculpted to do. For me, the piece of advice that I always give to somebody, whether it's an entrepreneur or somebody who wants to be the greatest parent of all time, what is your goal? You've got to start with your goal. Everything works backwards from that. For me, I wanted to get rich. And the irony is, when I started on my entrepreneurial journey, I was literally saying that to people. I want to get rich. I just want to make a bunch of money. And so I started as a copywriter in a technology company because I'd failed to make it in film school. I actually ended up doing horrifically. And I, at the end of film school, I felt broken, embarrassed, lost. I had no idea where I was going. But I started teaching filmmaking. And as I was teaching that class, I realized, wow, I don't know enough to teach these students. I need to like research at night and practice to be able to come in and present this material. And a weird thing happened as I started doing that. I was actually learning a lot more. And so I was able to convey that to the students and I was able to help the students make their films better. And it made me realize, whoa, there's this weird reciprocal loop. The harder I work over here, then go and explain it. They actually can take that knowledge and put it to use. Building skill sets, getting better at something. And I started thinking, is that something that I could do for myself? And at that moment, these two very successful entrepreneurs walk into my class. And at that time, I was obsessed with two things. I wanted to get rich, and I wanted six-pack abs. <laughs> now, I grew up in a morbidly obese family, so for me, that was real, man. And I used to be 60 pounds heavier than I am now. And I wanted those six-pack abs, man. I just had no idea how I was going to get it. And I remember the first time that somebody told me, I think you already have abs, it's just under the fat. And I thought, what? Like, that doesn't even make sense. Because I had done like a bunch of crunches and I'm like, I still don't see them. So I don't know what the problem is. Maybe it was all the licorice. I had a thing. So these two- If you strive to perform your best in life, bringing your energy and abilities into everything you do, then it only makes sense that you would want to be out on the road with that same power, agility, and performance that everyone expects from you. And there's no better option than the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable SUV yet, the third-generation Range Rover Sport. You guys know I love staying on the cutting edge with technology, and the Range Rover Sport's cabin features advanced technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, a must, offering you and your family and friends new levels of comfort and refinement while traveling. The Range Rover Sport provides an instinctive drive with engaging on-road dynamics and redefines sporting luxury for the power, agility, and performance you demand in every area of your life. Explore the Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. You guys walk in, very accomplished entrepreneurs, ripped, six-pack ab, bodybuilder types, and they said, hey, you're coming to the world with your hand out. 
If you want to control your art, you have to control your resources. So if you want to get back in the saddle and actually become a filmmaker, you're going to have to learn to control the resources. So come with us, be a copywriter, but understand this is a startup. You can have any role in the company that you want. You just have to become the right person for that job. And so I took them at their word and I pivoted and I left my teaching career, which had safety. And I looked to my wife and I said, this may fail, but I've got to at least give it a shot. And my wife said the words that have become famous for me, which is, I bet on you. Thank you. <laughs> now, what my wife was betting on wasn't that I already knew how to do what they wanted me to do, because she knew I didn't. What she was betting on in me is the same thing that each and every one of you have, which is the ability to learn. And so I went into it knowing I was not the right person for any job in that company. I'd never been in a company like that before. I'd been totally focused on film. This was software, it was security software. It was nothing that I had any interest in, but I wanted to get rich. And so I did it. And for six and a half years, I put my head down, like those early days in my dorm room, and I worked my ass off around the clock. I didn't take vacations, meaning, if I went somewhere, I would literally, guys, this is real, I would take a camera so that I could watch what was going on back at the facility. I was always working around the clock, and at six and a half years, I was so different than where I started. I had worked my way up. I was now the chief marketing officer of the company. They had given me 10% equity in the company. I was now on paper a multimillionaire. I had done what I set out to do. I was capable of things that I never would have believed that I could do. Running a team, building a website, online advertising, marketing, all things that I didn't know. I didn't even know when I started the difference between sales and marketing. I had no idea what the difference was. But here I was now the chief marketing officer of a company that was winning awards, it was making money, standing in this beautiful conference room overlooking the Pacific Ocean, and I realized I'm miserable. And I've been miserable for a long time. And I learned a really powerful lesson that I want you guys all to think about right now. The goal that I had did not take me where I wanted to go. I was living the cliche of money can't buy happiness. And I began to realize the game we're all playing, it's not success. It's not money, it's brain chemistry. To sum it up in the simplest way possible, the only thing in this life that matters, the only thing in this life that matters is what you think about in your most quiet moments about yourself when you're all alone and the only thing you have are your thoughts. If in that moment, regardless of your worldly success, you feel good about who you are, you feel good about what you've done and how you've touched other people's lives, you feel good about what you're striving for and trying to accomplish, you feel good that in the times when it got hard, if it mattered to you, you pushed through, that matters. That matters a lot, but the money doesn't matter. And so I quit. And I realized I was just not interested in living a life, no matter how much money there was, where in my quiet moments I felt like I was wasting my life. I felt like I wasn't helping people. I felt like I wasn't connected. I wasn't connected to my wife. I'd been ignoring her for years. I felt like I wasn't connected to my business partners anymore. It was all just about the money. I didn't have a why. Who knows Simon Sinek? 
Big it up for Simon. All right, Simon and I did a video that essentially broke the internet about millennials. Somebody watched it. What got Simon on the world stage is this whole concept of why. You've got to know why you're doing what you're doing. If you're just showing up every day to cut and dye hair, to keep your lights on, you're going to have far less energy to make it through the hard times than somebody who is there to help transform somebody, to help make somebody their best, to help them feel their best. And I hope that you guys saw that video not too long ago of the hairdresser that went around and he was doing makeovers on homeless people. Right? Man, it was incredible. It was so beautiful. The look on their face at that moment where they see themselves for the first time in front of the mirror and they are seeing something totally new. They're seeing a version of themselves that they did not know was there. And the ability to give that gift, like it is so easy to get lost in the day-to-day -day grind of what you do, what any of us do. But if at the core eyeing you is a deep and unending why for what you're doing, you've got something. Now you've got a chance to transcend what you're doing. And the way that happens is very tactical. It has nothing to do with like woo-woo, being out in the air. It's none of that. You're going to have the energy that you need to fight through. People always ask me how I generate energy. There's two ways. Number one, take care of your body. There's just no way around that. At the end of the day, it's a biological thing that's going on, the production of ATP. And the second thing is you need to be excited about the future that you're trying to create. And when I went in and quit, even though I had millions of dollars in equity and I was making more than I'd ever made, I quit because I didn't have a why. I didn't have anything that gave me the energy to keep pushing. I didn't have excitement for what I was doing anymore. My partners were stunned, totally took them by surprise. I'm driving home, I call my wife and I say, I did it, I quit. Like we're actually, we were gonna move to Greece, we we're gonna live for cheap on some beach somewhere and I was gonna write. And that was gonna be that. And then I am pulling into the driveway of my condo and my phone rings and it's my partner's. And out of love and respect, I take it. I say, hey baby, give me a second, I'm gonna take this, they're calling. And they said, come out to dinner with us. And I went out and they said, look, we could do this without you, but we don't want to. And that was all I needed to reconnect to something other than money. And I remembered for a minute, these were guys that I loved. These were people that I had gotten to know through good times, through bad times, through the hard times, through the excitement of the company growing. And in connecting to something other than the money, I was finally able to really see and understand what it was that motivated me. And I confessed to them that money was not my highest priority in business. My highest priority was camaraderie. I wanted to connect. I wanted to bring something of value to the customer. I wanted to think about the customer. I wanted to be myself. And I wanted to market in a way that was inclusive and created a community. And in that community, we could do something more than just sell products. And so we decided to sell that company because they felt the same. And they wanted to do something based on passion. They wanted to have the energy and excitement to see things through. And for three very different reasons, we decided to form Quest Nutrition. Now, as I mentioned, I grew up in a morbidly obese family. So for me, I was never going to chase money again. And I told them that. 
I was only going to focus on value creation. And it had to be something that I had a deep and personal connection to. So for me, I started thinking every day about saving my mom and my sister. My mom and my sister are both morbidly obese and have been essentially my entire life. And I knew that I was going to lose them too soon if I couldn't solve the problem of how they ended up there. I wanted to give them food that they could choose based on taste, and it happened to be good for them. Now, if that doesn't sound hard, let me assure you that it is very hard. And there was one point in my life where we were making the bars by hand, and it was so hard and so painful that I would wake up. This is a true story. I would wake up in the middle of the night with my hands cramping closed. That's a weird way to wake up, let me just tell you right now. (laughs) But I wanted it that bad. Now, we started producing the bars in Compton. And on the line, this is another true story. On the line, we had Bloods and Crips. And in the middle of it, you got the crazy white guy. Now, the reason it worked was because I was prepared to outwork everybody else. I knew exactly what I wanted. I had my why. I had my goal. And it was very specific. And this is the thing about goals. They have to be incredibly specific. And my goal was to end metabolic disease. Not sell a lot of protein bars. That was not the goal. I wanted to end metabolic disease. And that informed every choice that we made as entrepreneurs every time that we had to answer a hard question, one that might impact profitability or how late we were going to have to work or what we were going to have to do. And it almost always was difficult, including, by the way, we had to become our own manufacturers, which we did not want to do. We wanted to outsource it. We just wanted to be marketers. But nobody would make the bar for us. Or they would, but they said that we had to add sugar to it. And we asked a simple question. Will that help end metabolic disease, yes or no? If yes, we'll do it. If no, we won't. And it wouldn't, so we didn't. It starts with that specific goal. And then because I had my why, my hands cramping closed in the face of doing something to save my mom and my sister, it was not a hard choice. In fact, I wouldn't have been able to look myself in the eye and say I was not able to help them because it was hurting my hands, right? It sounds ridiculous when you say it like that, but most people don't have a personal tie to what they're doing. Mother Teresa has an amazing quote, no one will act for the many, but people will act for the one. And so as you guys go into your jobs and you think about what you're trying to do, find a way to stop making it a job. Find a way to make it a calling, a vocation, something that really meets that why, your desire to connect or do something great for people. Which, by the way, when I say that the game that you're playing is brain chemistry, what I'm talking about is fulfillment. There's a difference between happiness and fulfillment. A bowl of ice cream brings me happiness. It does not bring me fulfillment. Fulfillment is often born of suffering. Fulfillment is about doing the things that are hard. In fact, the Greeks have a word for it. It's called techni. Techni means that you acquire a set of skills that is unique to you. The acquisition of those skills was very difficult. And here's the important part. Those skills serve other people. To me, I believe that the very reason that we're all here is to see how many skills we can acquire that have utility and then put that utility to the test in service of others. 
That's going to be the thing that lights you on fire. That you're busting your ass. You're really getting good at something. You are taking action. You're moving forward. You're doing the things you need to learn to do to learn and trigger that adaptation response that humans have. You're putting yourself under the stress. You've identified a goal. You're working your way backwards to where you are today. And that's the key. It's what I call minding the gap. There's a gap between who you are today and who you will need to become in order to execute against your why. That thing in you that's burning, that you really care about enough to get across the finish line, that you care about enough to keep doing, even when it's making your hands cramp closed, that you care about enough, even when you've got to come in and work between rival gang members. It's the thing that you care about enough that you really will work so hard that the rival gang members fall in line behind you because you're leading by example. Thank you. And that became my mission every day. I'm going to show up and outwork everybody. I'm going to be the first one here. I'm going to be the last one to leave. And most importantly, guys, I really hope you were listening to Robert Gialdini, whose books I have read and all but memorized. The key is you want to connect with them. You want them to fall in love with you. You want them to be inspired. You want them to feel better about themselves when they're around you than when they're not. And if you can pull that off, they will go to war for you. And in the beginning, when all we could do, because we didn't know production, we just had to throw human capital at it. And I needed people there, not kidding, at 2 a.m. on a Friday night. I had a bunch of ex-convicts in their early 20s with the tattoos on the face, the teardrop and all that, grinding it out to make protein bars because I gave them hope because I showed them that it doesn't matter who they are today. It only matters who they're trying to become and the price that they're willing to pay to get there. And so when you guys walk out of here, that's what you've got to ask. This whole theme of pivoting, this whole theme of keeping your center is about knowing what you want and believing you can make it a reality. But the only way to make it a reality is to put in the work. You've got to put in the work. The change is hard. The change is difficult. The change will demand everything of you. But man, if inside you really believe in what you're doing, you really see how you can get to that goal that you want, if you really see how you can serve other people doing what you do with this skill set that you've worked your ass off to acquire, then you can actually make change in people's lives. And that's what motivates me. Getting the skills has real-world implications. It took me from scrounging in my couch cushions to find enough change to put gas in my car to building a billion-dollar business. It is absolutely limitless what you can accomplish. Now think about that. If that's really true, if what I just said is true, that human potential is limitless, then how you spend your time becomes a spiritual consideration. You're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. That's just true. And, but now it's become so common to say, and it's like every Instagram post, that I, I fear it's going to lose its meaning. Who are you spending time with? Mm. Because if you're spending time 
with people like you. You're spending time with people like me. I'm, I'm raising you up or I'm just not going to spend time with you. Mm. So it's like now if you get in a mix of people like that who are like, man, we'd love for you to raise up to this level. But if you don't, it's fine. But we're just not going to spend time with you. All of a sudden that desire to belong to something powerful that you can see is going to lead you to your dreams. And I remember saying to my wife over and over and over, they are the surest path to my success. I don't know anything else. I just know if I can hang on to these guys, they're going to make me better. Mm -mm. And so that was through all the years of being embarrassed and developing actually massive anxiety because I was always behind. I was always the dumbest person on the phone. I was always the dumbest person in the room. And it was like, was I going to be willing to emotionally go through that to get great? And most people can't. So here's the thing. Now imagine, I'm not the only person they said, hey, this is a startup. You can have any job you want. They, I, I saw... 12 people, maybe more, come and go over Mm. the years. They just couldn't emotionally deal with it. Mm. And so I remember thinking to myself, why is it that I'm able to do this? And the answer was I could self-soothe faster than anyone else. So I would get kicked in the face and I would do something really dumb. I'd be called an idiot, told how stupid I was. And then I'd just be like, all right, I need to recenter. And that just became my obsession. I need to be able to emotionally get back to complete neutral so fast that you don't even see it register on my face. How'd you do it? How do you do that? Literally practicing. So remember, the same time I'm reading about the brain, mm-hmm. voraciously, I'm reading about people that understand human behavior. Mm-hmm. I'm getting into cognitive science, neuroscience, yep. like really going into it. So I'm reading all this stuff going, whoa, we're just a chemical processing plant. Mm-hmm. There are physiological hooks into these chemicals. So, hey, if you're mad, scared, whatever, but you force yourself to laugh out loud, you will change your neurochemical state. Mm-hmm. And you literally, your experience is the neurochemistry. So I was like, whoa. So I could get... I could be in a situation where I'm being berated or, or I legitimately mess up and it costs money and it's like, whoa, that's on me and it is nobody's bad but my own. And I realized that what most people do, their strategy is to deflect it. It's your fault. It's not my fault. Yes. So I started thinking of this as a metaphor. People are throwing gold at me. They're throwing it really hard mm-hmm. and I can put a shield up and deflect it, but mm-hmm. then I lose that piece of gold. Mm-hmm. If I drop my shield and just take the pain, let it hit me in the head, then I bend down and go, this thing, which was me being stupid, there's a lesson here. Ooh. And now I have this piece of gold. Ooh, ooh, ooh. But the whole thing is I have to be defenseless. Mm-hmm. So I have to own it. I have to take it. I can't fight. If someone is like this to this day, if our team is like, hey, there's something we need to point out to you, I'll do this. I square up to it. I mm-hmm. want them to know, like, hey, I want to hear it. I mm-hmm. want to know. Like, I want to be literally physically open. I'm not going to close down. I'm going to do everything I can to square off, to open mm-hmm. myself so that they know I'm receptive oh, to bro. the criticism, right? Because that's the nugget of gold. What I know is it's going to hurt. It's going to sting. Yep. But if I can emotionally recenter so fast you don't even see that I went through something, now I can just process how do I take this information you've given me and get better. Everything in my life is driven by how something makes me feel. And I really believe all you have in this world is how you feel about yourself when you're by yourself. So in that dark, quiet night, when you're all alone, do you feel good or not? And so I steer by that. And when I start losing sleep because something is stressing me out or I think I handled something poorly, I have to correct that. And what are the tactics? So part of this is you have a belief system through which everything is filtered. So my thing is, okay, belief system. I can get good at anything I set my mind to. Uh, Belief system number two, having a growth mindset is the absolute ideal. So that means that just because I'm not good at something now doesn't mean I can't become good at it, that I should only value myself for being a learner. I shouldn't worry about being smart, right, good, talented, nothing, just the willingness to stare nakedly at my inadequacies. So if I've done something and it's making me feel badly about myself, I start running through those filters. Also, does 
does this beating myself up, is it moving me towards my goal or away from it? Now, a little bit of beating yourself up actually probably does move you towards your goal because it kicks you in the ass and gets you moving, Mm -hmm. taking it seriously. You're really thinking about it, but then too much of it begins to erode yourself. And so I have to balance, like, am I just beating myself up? And now I've taken it too far and I'm losing sleep over something. I just need to let go and focus on getting better instead of punishing myself, like just get better at it. Um, so those, those are the tactics that I use. The word yet is a huge tactic for me. Tom, you suck. Oh, I'm not good at that yet. Okay, cool. Thank you. Got it. Um, I can get good at that. Um, and, and just keep coming back to those very simple, basic building blocks of my belief system what I value, where my priorities lie, what my goal is, having total clarity, am I actually moving towards it? And then just really holding yourself accountable to that without damaging your self-esteem. Mm-hmm. One of my like guiding principles is never do anything that diminishes you and then never do anything that moves you away from your goal. So again, goal, you have to have that clarity. So I know what I'm trying to do. Okay, well, if I know what I'm trying to do, does beating me, beating myself up over this, is that going to help me or hurt me? Oh, it's going to hurt me because I'm going to be more likely to slide toward depression, to think less of myself, to be less bold, to take less action. Okay, well, then we're not going to do that. And I don't think people have researched cognitive behavioral therapy nearly enough. Pattern interrupting is like everything. Get better at pattern interrupting than LeBron is at shooting. Like you just have to be a ninja. Like you've got to be so hardcore. You've got to know about how to do that with yourself. So if I have a negative thought that's recurring, I just tell myself, nope, you can't think this anymore. So, and every time it will come up because I can't stop myself from it popping up into my conscious mind, but you absolutely can control how the next thought goes. The next thought can be, oh, I'm... And here's what I'll do with a negative thought. That's so rad. I'm so glad this negative thought appeared in my mind because that reminds me to be grateful for the fact that I'm friends with Jay Shetty or that reminds me to be grateful for the fact I have a marriage that is so insanely cool that like I legitimately some days have to stop myself from just curling up in a ball with her and just chilling all fucking day. Like that is, I'm super stoked. Even now, Jay, it's so funny. I had to stop and think, wait, I'm going through this list of things that I'm grateful for. What started this? And I'm like, oh yeah, the negative thought. Like that actually just happened to me right now. So you can imagine in real life when like you train yourself, ah, every time the negative thought kicks up, don't don't sit in the emotion of the negativity that it will bring. Mm -hmm. Instead, use it as a habit loop trigger to think about something you're grateful for. Mm -hmm. And at first it feels so awkward and it's like the negative thought just keeps coming back. But if you're diligent and suddenly negative thoughts become a habit loop trigger to gratitude, to positivity, to repeating your rules about, I don't allow myself to think things that tear me down, so I'm not gonna think about that. Even just saying that crowds out that thought and telling other people that, hey, this is what you're doing. It is unbelievable. But this is where I'm saying, I'm literally just a patchwork of all these like tools and techniques that allow me to protect myself from negative self-talk, from anxiety, from depression. I don't think I've ever officially been in depression, uh, but I've been super fucking close enough to know the feeling of staring into the void, which I don't think is accurate. Mm -hmm. It feels like the void is collapsing in around you and just everything is meaningless and it is all utterly hopeless. And I've had just enough of a glimpse of how hopeless that is to, to get where people are in those moments. But anxiety, that I've been in the thick of. Mm-hmm. So that one I know, and I've used CBT, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, to do interrupts on that. Um, I have a very well-developed negative voice, so I have had to um, use tools and techniques to stop that. I never would have become a successful entrepreneur if I couldn't um, learn to self-soothe. And at one point, that was what I would have said was my secret power, Mm -hmm. that my secret power in business was I can self-soothe faster than anybody else. 
I just keep coming back to being the learner, right? So your identity isn't group A, politic this, politic that, tribe this, tribe that. It is, I'm a learner, first and foremost. I'm somebody that wants to bring value to myself and to the world, first and foremost. So it's like, once you get to that, then as people are assaulting you, chances of them triggering a self-esteem like in like if somebody wanted to hurt my self-esteem they would need to call me out on on are you really spending time learning or have you really improved i think mm-hmm. you're the same that you were two years ago like whoa like if i really like you said felt that that might be true then i would really that would call some shit into question for me because that's right. my identity right so if somebody came to you and said actually you're not a learner for me where my belief is now that's so absurdist that I would brush it off. But if they were able to like compel me to see it, the funny thing is being a learner then kicks in again. And I'm like, shit, if they're really right, then here's my chance to finally actually be a learner. But so that's why I think that one's anti-fragile, but that's where it's like, you can get yourself into trouble if they're hitting on the very thing that your identity and self-esteem are tied to. Recognizing that brain plasticity is real and so much of who we are, let's say it's roughly, science says it's roughly 50%, this is not me making it up, that 50% is hardwired and you're not gonna be able to do anything about it, but 50% is insanely malleable. Mm-hmm. And um, I love this quote, so great, that you can't make a racehorse out of a pig, but you can make a really fast pig. <laughs> and I thought, okay, cool. So maybe I'll never be a racehorse, but I can be a really fast pig. And so whenever I'm feeling badly about myself or something knocks me mm. off center, I just come back to that idea of what's useful? How do you move forward? Like, even if you're not gonna be the greatest of all time, does it benefit you to act as if you could become the greatest of all time if you pour yourself into it? And so I don't know that I'll ever end up being the greatest anything, but dude, acting like I can and like really practicing and moving through the world like I can become the greatest mm. has propelled me forward. Yeah, because acting like you can't won't get you there. Yeah. Won't make you good probably or great if you're constantly obsessing over why I'm not good enough or why I'll never become great. So acting like you can at least gives you a much better chance of getting somewhere than nowhere. 100%. It's what I call the only belief that matters. The only belief that matters is that if I put time and energy into getting a new skill, I actually will get better at that thing. And if you then extrapolate that and say, and skills actually have utility, they matter. So knowing how to build a business that doesn't fall, or build a business, build a building that doesn't fall down is very, very useful. Or a a business that doesn't fall apart. Yeah, that too, (laughs) right? So those skills actually let you do things. Mm -hmm. And so that's become sort of my obsession is getting people to understand you don't read a book to check a box, you don't go to school to impress your parents, you do it because the skill that you will acquire lets you do something in the world that other people can't do or you wouldn't be able to do And that has a material impact on your life. Yeah, I feel like you and I are very similar in the fact that we talk about skills a lot and acquiring new skills. And I think when you have a down phase or a breakdown phase, that's when you should think about what are the skills I'm lacking that could benefit me so this doesn't happen again. Everybody lean in if you're listening to this. This is one of those things that audacity is is nothing. Don't, Don't worry about being audacious. The reason people fear being audacious is they don't want to be me 10 years from now when this all fails, right? They're thinking, oh man, what if this doesn't work? This guy's gonna look like an asshole. And it's like, yeah, maybe other people will think that I'm a total dumbass, it doesn't matter. And why doesn't it matter? Because of techni, because if I know how to build a house, I can build a house. So my thing is, I'm not trying to posture or be cool. 
I'm telling you, I have a set of fucking skills. That set of skills lets me do things. I'm just interested in doing those things. So whether or not I hit my timelines does not matter. I'm in the skill acquisition game. Skills let you do things. I'm in the game of doing the things that my skills allow me to do. So I want to impact people's lives. Maybe I'm not able to pull it off at a film level. I'll find another way. Or maybe it takes me a lot longer to pull it off. Okay, fine. As long as I love what I'm doing, even when I'm failing, there's nothing to lose. No, because... You know, on this idea of technique, along the way, you are fulfilled with every step on the journey. For sure. Right? Every time you upload a new, you know, conversation, a new episode of your show, it's a, it's a, it's a cool feeling to be able to put that out there and know that it is, quote unquote, you know, impacting people. For sure. And it is. It is. And that's the thing. You know this. Like, yeah. you... You say something into a microphone, like right now, the, the feeling that I have, while I know people are listening, the feeling I have is it's just us in this room. But one day somebody's going to come up to you or me and say, I heard that podcast you guys did and it really touched me and it changed me in this way. That's all I need. So I'm not, I'm not afraid to be audacious because I know that you're never going to exceed what you're aiming at. So you're only, you're hope is to hit some percentage of what you're aiming at. So I might as well dream massive. And one, it excites me. And then two, I'm not afraid of the failure. So once you have that, like, oh, it's exciting for me to dream big. And I'm hyper conscious of, you break it down in small pieces. Like I'm not, I'm not worried about building theme parks and all that stuff right now. What I'm doing right now today is make a good comic, put out a good interview show. That's it. That's what my life consists Mm -hmm. of. Stay in business, be profitable. Like those are the things that I think about. So I keep my you know, my goals, my immediate term goals, very manageable, but I make sure that they're feeding naturally into the grand vision, Mm -hmm. but I don't get scared or lost and thinking, Oh my God, I have to do all that. Nope. Right now today, I need to read a script. I need to make sure it's okay. I need to authorize it to be drawn. That's it. That's today. And as long as you're able to focus on that and get good at that, and then just always push yourself to make your skill set better and better and better. As long as it's leading towards that thing and you have clarity on where you're trying to go so that you make sure the skills you're acquiring will actually lead you there. You'd be fine. I love the mindset stuff. I love it. And it's changed my life. And I love watching somebody's eyes light up when they get it for the first time. And so I created Impact Theory University. And it is the book, but in lecture form. And so I've already created that stuff. Now, I know that I would open up a much bigger market if I were to make the book so that those people could go, oh, my God, this stuff is life-changing. And then I say, you like the book, you'll love Impact Theory University, sign up today. And it would quintuple our business overnight. I I can pretty much guarantee it. When you say no to something that comes with a lot of zeros, you do so because of your value system. And what I value, when I think about Tom Bilyeu on his deathbed, if I may speak in the third person, (laughs) I think of myself on my deathbed. I don't regret not writing the book, but I regret tremendously not telling stories. Because I think if I want to impact 100% of the world, 2% of them can be impacted with what we're doing right now, where you say, think like this, Mm -hmm. act like this, it will make your life better. And 2% will do it. It's amazing. Now, I don't mean 2% of your audience. Your audience is the 2%. They've selected themselves out. They watch your show. So now some ungodly number of them are going to go out and do it because they belong to that very rare group. Mm -hmm. The 98%, though, they will not. And I became obsessed with this because working at Quest, I had 3,000 employees. 1,000 of them grew up in the inner cities. And many of them could process raw data faster than I could. They were smarter than me, but they had done nothing with their life. Mm. And they were not going to do anything with their life. Not that it would be remembered or anything that even they valued. 
And when I boiled down to why not, it came down to they didn't have a growth mindset. They didn't have the only belief that matters. So I thought, okay, well, how do I get it to them? So I, we created Quest University, mm-hmm. and I would show up early. I would stay late. I would tell anybody anything they wanted to know about mindset, building a business, whatever. And 2% of them did it, and it was life-changing, and it's amazing. And I still get phone calls from people who are like, you changed my life. I mean, it's amazing, but it's only 2%. The other 98% are either apathetic or actively antagonistic to change. Mm. So how do you reach them? Entertainment. The, the punchline is you have to get to the limbic system, which you yeah. do through entertainment. Movies. So you tell them stories. TV movies, yeah. I really believe that the way that humans assimilate truly disruptive information is through narrative. And so part of the way that I've changed my life, that I've opened my mind to things like a growth mindset, mm-hmm. is through, like the Matrix. It's not a mistake that the Matrix came out the year that I was going through this, like, Am I able to improve myself or not? The movie comes out, ends up becoming the dominant metaphor of my life. I'd love to say that it was a lightning rod moment when I saw it. My life has changed forever. It wasn't like that, but it planted a seed that I just kept coming back to. Oh man, it's like Neo in the Matrix. Oh man. And you just start piecing together like these fascinating belief systems. Because a lot of times the wisest characters in films are often taken from, like Yoda sounds exactly like Lao Tzu from mm-hmm. the Tao Te Ching. Yep. So it's like, Basically, you've got George Lucas, who's very familiar with Eastern philosophy, talking Eastern philosophy through this little puppet, but especially if you hear it when you're young, man, like your mind is really open to it. So because of Star Wars, I end up becoming obsessed with the Tao Te Ching, and then because of that, that ultimately was my doorway to a growth mindset. If there were only three books you could recommend to people, that this all the books they could read in their life, this is the hardest thing probably, but if you're like three books to live a better life, to understand the world, and to just thrive, what would you say are those three books? It's not a hard question, but it's one that I'm sure I will answer differently every time somebody yes. asks. Uh, number one is Mindset by Carol Dweck. Yeah, it's, great. it's the most important book in the English language. Uh, number two is The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday, which is an absolutely extraordinary book. And then number three is Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink. He's great. And Leif Babin. Shout out to Leif. The first is Read the Book Mindset by Carol Dweck, period. It's, it, it's so critical, man. Okay. And it just lays the foundation for how to think. Um, that, that's step number one. Step number two is you will only ever get in your life what you absolutely must have. Your absolute obsession is it you that says your obsessions become your possessions? That is so true. <laughs> and so getting people to understand that that level of like, I must have this, until it is that, like whatever it is, if it's taking care of your wife, if it's doing something rad for your mom, if it's having a beach house, whatever it is, mm-hmm. until it, you need that, like you need oxygen, you mm-hmm. won't get it. It, it is going to demand so much of you. Mm-hmm. You're going to fall so many times. There's going to be so many obstacles. And unless it must happen in your life, one of them will make you stop. Like you said, you can't be for sale. Mm-hmm. Like if your will can be bought, mm-hmm. it doesn't make you a bad person, man. It really doesn't. Right. But if your will can be bought, you're just not going to get it. It's all your fault. Everything. Every bad thing that has ever happened to you is your fault. And if tonight a meteorite comes screaming through the atmosphere, crashes into my bedroom and kills my wife, I will know that that is my fault. Now I use the word fault to shake people up. I know that it's making you mad right now. I know that it winds you up and you think that I'm victim shaming. And when you get beyond that and you realize all I'm trying to do is remind you that you were never, ever, ever, 
ever a victim unless you choose to be, everything in your life will change. You're always in control, even if that's a lie. And I don't care if it is. Even if a meteorite coming in and killing my wife couldn't possibly be my fault, I'm going to own it. Because the second I give away my power to somebody else, I'm now at something else's mercy. And there is some line that I can't cross, that I'm no longer in control. And I refuse to do that. Um, If I could give anybody a gift, it would be that, for you to own that completely top to bottom and to know that every good thing that's ever happened in your life, no matter how much it seemed like luck or coincidence, that was you. You earned that. You put yourself in that position. And as you move forward, life is one of two things, the result you wanted or the result you didn't want. If you don't get the result you want, you are by definition doing the wrong thing and you must change. If you get the result that you want, then you did the right thing. Simple as no gray, nothing in between. That's it. It's all your fault. And that's the best news possible. I don't think that thinking something or saying something makes it true, but I think that thinking something and saying something makes you believe it. And the things you believe, you will unintentionally guide yourself towards. Um, I think your belief about yourself and what you're capable of influences your accomplishments more than you can imagine, just because you don't put in the extra mile of effort or whatever that it was going to take because you don't believe that you can, Mm -hmm. or you don't even allow yourself to dream it. And if you don't dream it, you're never going to come up with a plan. So it, it is wildly influential in terms of what happens, just not in a mystical way, in a very very like tactical, you just end up either doing or not doing the things that you should. To me, greatness is leaving it all out on the field. Like you can't guarantee results, but you can guarantee like, did you really play to win? Mm-hmm. And this is something that I am heartbroken for other people if they're not playing to win. And the only reason to not play to win is if you don't think you can win and you value yourself for winning. So my thing is, maybe I can't win. I think the odds are actually against me building the next Disney. But it's such a fun game to play because I only value myself for the sincere pursuit. So greatness to me is not about achieving something. It's about playing all out, sincerely pursuing. So I'm chasing money for eight and a half years. My mantra is I want to get rich. That's right. it. You There's better no... get rich. Father-in-law yep. wants you rich. You've promised you're going to get rich. You always wanted to be rich when you were young. 100%. Right. And so, and that didn't, that wasn't a dirty word for me. I didn't understand people who were conflicted about money. I was like, it's powerful. So sure. I want to get rich. And, and I just made it all about that. And so for six and a half of those years, I didn't take days off. Even when we would go to London for Christmas, I had like, a uh, video camera that would allow, well, this is actually slightly in the future, but a great example. I would take a video camera that would let me watch the production line at Quest. Oh my God. So like that kind of obsessive, like I'm all in. Yeah. Back at the technology company, same kind of thing, but I would either be working on the tech company or trying to start other companies at night. So we talk a lot about, we had like five or six companies fail, all side hustles, yeah. but it was like, we just kept trying to learn and Throwing figure this out. And so growing in that, becoming better, understanding marketing, helping elevate the company, really rising up to a peer status, watching other people fall away because they couldn't emotionally hang in the environment. And yeah, then they made me, the, I didn't ask for a raise for five years. I was like, I want to be, be so valuable that they feel gross for what they're paying me. Yeah. And so, because I wanted the equity. What a lesson. I didn't want the, yep. I didn't want the salary. Yep. So I was like, dude, I'm in this for the equity. You don't have to worry about me. Equity, equity, equity. I just kept it on their mind. Like, mm. hey, You said that was a possibility. I want you to know that means everything to me, and that's why I'm here. And so hit the six-and-a-half-year mark. I'm 10% owner in the company, and I'm completely miserable. And I burned out, and I realized that entrepreneurship had given, given, given. It was making me stronger, bigger, faster, and now it was beginning to take away because I didn't care about the product. 
I didn't love what we were doing. I wasn't passionate. I was just chasing money and money just wasn't that interesting. I, at that point on paper, we both know the difference between right. paper money and real money. Right. But on paper, I was a multimillionaire. And I went in and I said, guys, here's your equity back. I, I'm quitting. Um, I'm not crossing the finish line, so I don't think I should get anything for this. And it actually ended up being like a really cathartic moment where we could all say what we'd been feeling, which is, yeah, none of us are happy. Mm. And so it became, well, if we're going to keep doing this, if we're going to keep building businesses, because by then it was very clear to me, the struggle is guaranteed, the success is not. Mm. And so I'm going to go do something I love. And they agreed, they felt the same. So we said, okay, well, what would we build that we would love, even if we were failing? And so for three very different reasons, that became a nutrition company. And for me, it was, I grew up in a morbidly obese family. My uncle essentially ate himself to death when I was 12 years old. And it was scary and sad. Mm. My mom is morbidly obese, has been my entire life. My Mm. sister's morbidly obese, has been almost her entire life. Um, My dad at one point was morbidly obese and then lost weight. But it was like, that's just where my family lived. And so I was like, they're going to die far sooner than they need to. And there's this great Mother Teresa quote, nobody will act for the many, but people will act for the one. And so I just needed to wake up every day and think about my mom and my sister. And that was it. And I thought, I can show up every day and fight for them. It's not about the money anymore. Mm. I can fight for them. Mm. And look, we, it, a lot of business acumen went into this. This was not just, yeah. we had good intentions sure. and it built a big business. It was, we understood business, right? I had now been in business for eight and a half years, grinding it out, building this technology company, which was hard as hell. Yeah. And... But now we were able to marry that. And by the way, we took the um, tech company through the recession and everything. So, I mean, it was like I'd taken some knocks. So we really understood business at this point. And so now we were going to start something predicated entirely on value creation. That mm. was like our mantra. Doesn't matter what's more profitable. It matters what adds more value. And so we, we literally were saying these things. And mm. we also, we didn't actually throw our hands in a pile of wish we had to be a cooler story. Yeah. But like... All but that said, and each of us needs to have fun every day. What makes you happy? The, the easy answer and, and the most truthful answer is time with my wife. The other answer to what makes me happy, there's really two things. So time with my wife and then the pursuit, which I'll put in all caps, right? Yep. So the pursuit of whatever, the pursuit of getting better, the pursuit of impacting the world, the pursuit of building something big that, that matters. The pursuit, maybe I never get it. I don't care Mm. about that. I care Mm. about the pursuit. I care Mm. about whether sincerely I'm actually trying to make it happen. Not bullshitting, not just like empty dreams, but like for real, I'm actually giving myself over to this. And I spent a lot of time in the inner cities. I big brothered for this one kid for eight and a half years, completely changed my life. And then having 1,400 employees and about 1,000 of which grew up hard Mm. in the inner cities. Mm. Hard, I mean, most of them grew up in Compton. I mean, it was just... Mm some of the most extraordinary stories I've ever heard. And I realized that those people are as extraordinary as anybody. Barack Obama, Mm -hmm. um, Oprah Winfrey, Mm -hmm. um, Tony Robbins, like Mm -hmm. they, all those same raw materials exist in people in the inner cities that nobody believes in, nobody think will ever go anywhere. And they won't because they don't believe in themselves. And so we were talking at our most honest, like what, what are we really driven by? And I'm driven by that moment of awakening, which I had in my own life where mm. I finally realized, wait, I can learn new things. Mm. So just because I'm not good today doesn't mean I can't be good tomorrow. And, and that filled me with so much excitement. I want to see that in other people. And I want to see what the world looks like when other people realize, wait a second, 
That Steve Jobs quote that the world is made by people no smarter than you is actually true. true. And so if you're believing that these people are smarter than you because you did bad on your SATs, I'm just going to tell you right now, stop. Hmm. So you can develop yourself. Hmm. So my obsession became that humans are the ultimate adaptation machine. We are literally wired from the ground up in order to grow and improve under stress and pressure. So it's like, what's the phrase? Uh, Pressure can burst pipes, but it also creates diamonds. So it's like, you need the pressure. And yes, it can hurt, but it can also make something amazing Mm. if you're willing to put yourself in that situation. So it's a weird twist of fate that humans, um, in order to build the muscle, you first have to tear it, right? So, ah, but once you accept that that's how it works, you can do extraordinary things. Today, we are going to be talking all about dealing with disappointment. This is something I know a lot about. I'm sure all of you know a lot about this, but there is a way to get over it and to make sure that we don't waste any time stuck in that period of disappointment. We may need to do a period of mourning, but that we don't allow ourselves to get stuck there. We're able to mourn, move past it, and get going again. All right. First question is, how do I stop myself from beating myself up for trying to do something that failed miserably and then continuing to overthink everything about what happened. Thank you so much for any advice and assistance that you can provide. Okay, here is how to conceptualize failure and the disappointment that goes along with it. Once you understand that what the human animal is designed to do is learn, then You have to ask yourself, if what has made the human animal the most apex of apex predators the world has ever seen, the most capable of completely changing its environment, what is it that allows them to learn fast? And the answer is failure. Now, the reason that failure is truly useful, and I'm not just saying that to make you or myself feel better. In fact, I wish that it wasn't the way to learn the fastest. But the reality is, the reason that it works so well is that when you fail, You trigger areas of the brain that are focused on memory and focus. So you've got the memory side. So you're going to remember this. You've got the pain. This does not feel good. I do not want to go through this again. So you've got that, which heightens your emotions, which makes you more likely to remember this thing moving forward. And then it also narrows your attention. So you're really looking at why did this go wrong? And when you have this sense of, I never want to repeat this, and you're looking very closely at, why did this go wrong? Now, all of a sudden, failures, because of what it does to your brain, and quite frankly, because you're in the mix, you're trying things, and we learn better from doing than from reading about it or hearing about it. So failures suddenly become the most information-rich data stream on planet Earth, heightens your likelihood of remembering, and it focuses you in on exactly what's the problem. So now, even though failing sucks, part of what makes it valuable is that it sucks. In fact, it may suck in order to make it valuable. Let that sink in. That nature went, huh, when this happens, in order for this to be useful for this animal, for this evolutionary creature, I need to make sure that it becomes advantageous so that as they make mistakes, assuming that they don't get eaten by a lion, I want to make sure that they don't put themselves in that position again. And so we have to learn from some method and the method that gets us moving, taking action, trying things, feeling the pain, focusing, that's going to be the thing that we're going to get the most takeaways from. So now as you reframe what failure is, failure is not proof that you're a loser. Failure is the process by which you become better. 
okay? Failure is not the process that reveals that you're a loser. Failure is a process by which you become better. That is the name of failure. So now, when you fail, why would you beat yourself up over it? It's the nature of progress itself. There is no way to get better without failing. It's the fastest way. It is the most effective way. It is necessary. You have to do it. And by the way, for you to have failed at something, you showed the courage to try it. So instead of wasting time beating yourself up over the fact that something went wrong, we're going to say, that's the nature of progress. We have to try something. It's not going to work as well as we want it to, or I may fall flat on my face. I may outright embarrass myself. And if I let that break me, I will fail to learn the lesson. But if I do what nature is compelling me to do, and I focus on what went wrong, why did this happen? Because I never want to go through this again. You stack enough of those, what went wrong? I never want to go through this again. Enough of those together, and you actually get good. And translating potential into skill set is the name of the game. And you will never do that more efficiently than you will through failure and mistakes. So allowing yourself to wallow in disappointment doesn't make any sense. It's the learning process. This is what you have to do in order to get good. So there's no reason to spend a lot of time being disappointed. You brush yourself off, you pick yourself up, you dust yourself off, and you get going. That's it. That is the physics of progress. How do you restructure yourself and your goals after falling off of a designated path? Should goals be fixed or malleable depending on the journey undertaken? All right. First of all, everything in life is ultimately malleable to some extent. We are not blank slates, so you can't just infinitely change yourself. But things are pretty changeable. Uh, as Heather Hying says, we are not a blank slate, but we are the blankest of slates. And I think that's the right way to look at it. So here's how I break it down. I've got my mission, my North Star, my like proper goal, the thing I'm trying to do. Then I have what most people think of as goals, which are the paths. So I want to win a gold medal in the Olympics. That's a goal. Maybe I think I'm going to win a gold medal in gymnastics, but I find that I can't pull it off. I aged out and I never quite got there. And so I switch over to archery. I'm making this up, but this archery is actually an event where you can be successful deeper into your life. The goal, win a gold medal at the Olympics, the path, swimming, tennis, archery, whatever. And so I'm gonna be flexible on what my path is. Now in business, man, let me tell you, I'm trying to build the next Disney. All right, rad. Now the path to get there, I wouldn't have told you two years ago was going to be NFTs. And now NFTs is a huge part of my strategy. So the goal of pulling people out of the matrix at scale using storytelling, that remains true. And that's why I'm building the next Disney. So that's my goal. That's my mission. That's my North Star. That's what I'm trying to do. Now, do I do that through YouTube videos? Do I do that through... Um, NFTs? Do I do it through getting a show on Netflix? What's it going to be? I don't really care, to be honest. I want to do what is whatever is most efficient and effective at getting me to the goal, which is to pull people out of the matrix at scale through storytelling. Okay? So you have to learn to differentiate between your mission and the path to get there. Because you could say that my goal is to... Um, 
let's say Maka. In fact, five years ago, I would have told you that I want to have printed comics and comic book stores and absolutely killing it. I want one of those comics to be turned into a major motion picture um, that, you know, ends up in theaters. And that would be one path. But now I'm like, I want to do an NFT. Forget about printed comics. They're absolutely laughable. Uh, we do web comics now, but that was a whole big transition that I wouldn't have anticipated. So that was already one switch of, some would say goal, I would say path. Now NFTs has become a huge part of that. And so not focusing on the web comics in isolation, but the web comics and how they can feed into the NFTs or even the NFTs can feed into the comics. And then how we translate that ultimately into, let's say a series that's gonna end up on streaming. Okay, so a lot of the elements, if you'd asked me five years ago, would have sounded very different than they sound now. So I don't think of that as, um, I would never want those to be fixed where it's either I get printed comics to work or I don't. It's like you get in there and if it doesn't make sense anymore, there was a whole host of reasons why it didn't make sense to pursue printed comics, but I didn't know until I failed at printed comics. So that's another thing to think about because by getting in there, trying it and seeing what the problems were, I was like, wow, why would anybody do this? This does not make sense. This is absolutely antiquated. This is the past. I want to be involved in the future but I needed to get in there and do it. And until I did that, I wasn't gonna be able to figure those things out. I couldn't think my way through that problem. I had to feel my way through that problem. So that's really the key. My North Star, my mission, that's pretty static. And I won't say that it never changes because it was at, when I was at Quest, it was ending metabolic disease. I moved over to impact theory and it became pulling people out of the matrix at scale using stories, okay? So two different things. Um, was able to pivot that. But now once I'm in there, until I give up on my North Star, which something absolutely major would have to happen, meaning I would have to believe it is no longer worthy of pursuit. Now, if I believe it is no longer worthy of pursuit, then I will change it. Or I'm not having fun pursuing it, whatever the case may be. But my paths, my paths are just questions of good sense. What's working? What's not working? What can I change to get there more efficiently, more effectively? So don't allow yourself to get bogged down in a path which should be easily discarded, but don't give up easily on a mission which should be far more firm. All right, next up. What should someone do when trying to make a career out of passion and that fails? The answer is, what do you mean fails? So we've already covered that failure is a key part of the process of progress. So I think a key insight that will help is that if you want to achieve anything significant in your life, you have to understand that it's a game of attrition. Okay. It's a game of attrition. What do I mean by that? Most people quit. It isn't that the people that end up winning never failed. It's that they didn't quit when they failed. Now, why do people quit when they fail? It isn't because they lose money. That hurts. That's going to make it harder, but that's not why they quit. Why they quit is it becomes emotionally devastating and they're not able to recenter themselves, self-soothe, remind themselves why they started, right? That North Star, the mission. Why am I doing this? Why do I care about this? to reorient themselves around. I care about this for a reason. It is bigger than myself. This is not just about money. I'm here to add value, to help people, to elevate, whatever. Trust me, you want to attach yourself to that 
Because when you're doing something that only stands to benefit you, it won't have the motivating factor that helping yourself and other people is going to have. Definitely want to help yourself, but you also want to help other people. And when you have a North Star goal mission, that is that. It's what I call honorable and exciting. Okay? It's honorable in that it elevates not only yourself, but other people. It's exciting. You're just into it. Whether you should be or not is irrelevant. You are into it and it serves humanity. Okay, when you have that goal that's exciting and honorable, now all of a sudden, when you quote unquote fail, you're just asking yourself, am I still into this? Do I still love this? Is this still my passion? Because if it is, I'm gonna get back up and keep going. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to allow myself to be another one of those people that when they fail and it hurts, that they just give up. Don't let that be you. There is a phenomenal quote from Winston Churchill, and it goes like this. Success is the ability to go from failure to failure to failure without a loss of enthusiasm. Now, when you can go from failure to failure to failure without losing your passion, you're really onto something. But that's going to be up to you because there's not going to be anybody there to encourage you, to coach you, to push you on. You have to do it yourself. And so you've got to do the work of making sure that you're really connected on a deep emotional level to that thing that you're pursuing. Now, if you do that, then that real passion and belief will be there waiting for you when the absolute gripping sting of failure occurs. Because at that moment, you're going to ask yourself one question. We all do it. Why am I doing this? And if you don't have a compelling answer, you will quit. But if you have a compelling answer and you really are passionate about this thing, then it's just about self-soothing and recognizing that failure is part of the game. And so we pick ourselves up, square ourselves off, and get moving again. And that is the only way to succeed. How do you discern preventable mistakes from ones we simply could not see at the time with the knowledge we have? How do we truly appreciate and learn the lessons of these failures? Okay, so I wouldn't worry so much about whether a mistake was preventable or not, because that implies you want to know when you should beat yourself up for the mistake and when you shouldn't. The only thing that you should be doing when you make a mistake is learning immediately go into learn mode. Assume everything is quote unquote your fault, that all of this could have been prevented if you had made a different decision, but we're not going to punch ourselves in the mouth over this. We simply want to understand, okay, what could I have done differently to get a result that I wanted? Because to me, there is an answer to, did I make the right or wrong decision? And it goes like this. If you made the right decision, it moved you closer to your goal. If you made the wrong decision, it held you neutral or moved you away from your goal. Once you understand, everything just goes through that filter. Now it's just, oh, okay, cool. So this was a wrong choice in that it held me neutral or moved me away from my goal. And if either of those two two things is true, it doesn't say that I'm a bad person or I'm a loser or I'm a failure. It just says what I tried didn't work. Now, if what I tried didn't work, my next question is, what could I have done that would have worked or at least had a higher likelihood of working? Now, to do that, you have to completely take responsibility. This did not work because I made the wrong decision and it was the wrong decision for this reason. Now, 
When you can do that and say that sentence without feeling badly about yourself, because you're going to push back, you're not going to want it to be your fault, you're going to want it to be anybody else's fault. But when you do that, you failed to learn the lesson, which means you failed in vain, which means you're not going to get anything out of that other than emotional distress. You're going to have to constantly try to wall yourself off from the reality. When, on the other hand, you embrace that this really is important. I have to figure out to get to my goal. I have to figure out what to do differently. So by owning it, you keep the control. You recognize that you can do something different. And then it's just all about figuring out what that next thing is. So don't worry about um, whether you should have known better or any of that. Because if you fail, even if you couldn't have known better, how is that helpful? You just need to figure out, cool, what can I do next time? What can I do next time? How do I start again more intelligently? That should be the only question on your lips. Next. How do you deal with the time lost from failure, especially when you have nothing to show for that time? For example, I just got rejected from a job that would have changed my life, but now I have to spend upwards of three to five years just to get to that level of income experience somewhere else. Okay. That's not true. So right now, the only path you see before you makes it seem like it's going to require you three to five years just to get to that level of income experience. But let's remember, we had that opportunity present itself once before. Who says it's not going to present itself again tomorrow? Now, the fact that we didn't get that role, that's what we have to figure out. Why not? And what can we do next time to ensure that we do? There's a great quote. I forget who it's by. Forgive me. But it goes, this is a paraphrase, but it goes like this. Luck is like a bus and another bus is going to come five minutes later. The question is, do you have the fare to get on the bus? That shit is dope. Once you understand that luck favors the prepared, meaning that the people who are quote unquote lucky are the ones that actually have the skill set to take advantage of that luck. And that's why the awesome way to think about it is like a bus. There's going to be another one coming all the time. They're constantly coming. But if you can never get on one because you don't have the skill set to take advantage, then you're never going to be quote unquote lucky, even though all of those opportunities have presented themselves. So this is really a question of skill set. Now, I promise you, if you gave me three to five years and pointed me at whatever it is that you're trying to do, I would, by leaps and bounds, I'm going to try to get there in six months. So if we really think it's going to take five years, I'm going to try to get that good at that thing in six months. And I will just tell you, I have a history of being able to pull that off. Now, why? Am I better? Am I smarter? No, I am definitely not. Remember, I'm the guy whose mother quietly assumed I was going to fail. My best friend said, I just assumed you were going to marshmallow your way through life. My now father-in-law, when I asked for his blessing to marry his daughter, he said no. These were not people that misidentified me. They had accurately identified me. But what they didn't factor in is that I could change. And so I just set about turning my potential into actual skill set. So instead of being somebody with a lot of potential, like we all are, I became a person with a lot of skill set. And that skill set I have leveraged to do extraordinary things with my life. But it was a lot of fucking hard work around one, making massive demands of myself. So not allowing myself to say, oh my God, this is going to take three to five years. Fuck that. It might take the average person who's not willing to do what I'm willing to do three to five years. I'm going to spend way more time and I'm going to be constantly owning everything in my life so that I can get better. I can try different things, new things. I'm going to stare nakedly at my inadequacies and figure out 
Why did I get rejected? I will ask, hey guys, out of curiosity, and trust me, I have thick skin. It would really be powerful to me and my career if you could tell me what made you choose somebody else? What was it about me? And I can take anything. If I don't seem educated enough, knowledgeable enough, I'm not, uh, I don't speak fast enough, I'm not funny enough, whatever. I just want to know the truth. You hated my shoes. I just want to know the truth. And you'll be surprised. People will actually give you an answer. It may not be the full, totally unfiltered answer, but they'll usually give you some pretty useful information if you make it clear that that's what you want. You don't want them to pull punches and that this is really something designed to help you get better. And that's the key. And if you can make them see that, boom, you're off to the races. But in all of this, you've got to really want it. You got to really want it. And you have to be willing to fail over and over and over because success is going from failure to failure to failure without a loss of enthusiasm. And there it is. That's how we do it. That's how we avoid wallowing in disappointment. That's how we put ourselves back together and get going and learn and learn at a supercharged rate. Failure is your greatest teacher. But you have to be willing to admit you've made a mistake. And that's it. If you can do that, oh my God, the universe will open up to you. Never retreat. Never explain. Get it done and let them howl. And that's the point. Get it done. Do the thing. The accomplishment is what you're after. The performance is your opportunity. It doesn't matter what other people think. It doesn't matter if they want you to win. It doesn't matter if they actively want you to lose. What matters is building that set of skills, becoming capable of doing the thing. And in doing the thing, you will silence the critics. It's the man in the arena who knows that he's showing up with the abilities that he has to do battle. The question is, will you prepare? The question is, will you do the work? The question is, will you be able to get the thing done? And everybody spends their time focused on what other people think instead of realizing the only thing that matters is how good you get. Right now, I want everybody listening to this. The only thing that matters is how good you get. That's the point. That's the purpose of all of this. Don't fucking worry about what people think. Just get so good that you can't be denied. Get so good that you can't be stopped. Get so good that your performance speaks for itself. If you get that good, My friends, you and you alone control your life. If you're 
honest with yourself about where you are and you know exactly where you want to go, you can go anywhere. As Jim Rohn said, without a sense of urgency, desire loses its value. What do you want badly enough to suffer for? What price are you willing to pay to become the person that you want to become? When you do that, when you have the skills, no one and nothing can stop you. Really think about that for a second. There is a level of ability, a level of skill set where you can get so good at something, no matter how much people hate you, no matter how much they want to bring you down, no matter how actively they come for you, you can stand before them and say, I will not fall. Because you can outperform. It's not about convincing, it's not about politicking, it's about getting better. And when you understand that that is what the human animal is capable of, when you understand that that's what you're capable of, everything in your life changes, it just becomes a simple choice. What do you want that badly that you're going to turn that want into a need, that you're going to do the work, that you're going to show up nights, weekends, you're going to put in the work when other people are out partying. All you can think about is becoming so good that they can't stop you. Becoming so good they can't stop you. That's the greatest joy you're ever going to experience in life is being truly and uniquely yourself. Through a cruel twist of fate, the only way for a human to really develop themselves and to become what they're capable of becoming is through suffering. It's by pushing yourself. And as Ralph Waldo Emerson said, unless you try something beyond what you've already mastered, you will never grow. But to push yourself beyond what you've already mastered is to really embrace discomfort. It's to push yourself to the edges of what you can take. It's to go beyond the physical, emotional, and intellectual limits. It's about redefining who you are. It's about redefining what you can stand, 
It's about redefining your breaking point and literally becoming capable of more. But that process through that twist of fate requires us to put ourselves in tremendous stress and pressure. But if you can do that, if you can find a way to step to that edge, to look over the abyss and to push yourself farther into the unknown, into a realm of danger, if you can do that, If unlike everyone else who seeks comfort, if you can push yourself past pain, then you can become something more than other people, but your life will ultimately be defined by what you do. Not by what you think, not by what you want, what you actually do. And as Leonardo da Vinci said, I have been impressed with the urgency of doing. Knowing is not enough, we must apply. Being willing is not enough, we must do. And that's got to be the guiding light of your life. If you want to find out what you can do, if you want to impact people, if you want to help, if you want to touch lives, all the proclamations that people make, if you actually want to do that and not just be talking, you've got to push yourself. You've got to make demands. You've got to hold yourself to a standard that other people think is crazy. You've got to become stronger. You've got to become more capable. Because when you get to that point, when you are stronger, when you're more capable, then you're actually able to execute against the things that you want to do. You're able to help people. You're able to push yourself. You're able to become something more. But that process of becoming is an active process and it is an active process of discomfort, pain, pushing, suffering and growth. It's beauty, it's wonderment, it's hurt, it's anguish, it's all of it rolled together. But at the end of the day, it's your control, it's your willingness, it's your why, it's knowing why you're pushing yourself that's going to determine whether or not you push beyond what other people think is possible. In that, standing at the edge of uncertainty, not knowing if you're going to succeed or fail, not knowing if you're going to live or die, it's in that moment that you realize who you really are. We've all had days that go wrong, where despite your best efforts, everything crumbles and as you near the end of that day, you realize that this was a lost day. Nothing came together. You weren't able to do what you told yourself you were going to do at the beginning of the day. But as Eleanor Roosevelt said, with a new day comes new strength 
and new thoughts. But that's up to you. You control what you think. You don't have to let your thoughts run away with you. You've got to take that moment to decide that you're going to think those new thoughts, to let it be a rebirth, to let it rejuvenate you. And you can't live in the past. You can't let the noise of what didn't work, you can't let the noise of the ways that you failed and the things that went wrong, you can't let that noise drown out the signal of your life. You can't let it become the only thing that you hear. You can't let it begin to shape the actual structures of your mind to overly focus on the things that went wrong. And so you have to make that choice every day to decide that today is a new day, to decide that you're going to have new thoughts, to decide that you're going to see potential in this new day. I want greatness for you. And I'm willing to bet that everyone in your life that loves you wants the same thing. They want to see you make your dreams come true. They hunger for it to see you win the way that you hunger for it yourself. But what they know that you may not yet be willing to accept is that as Rabindranath Tagore said, you can't cross the sea merely by standing and staring at the water. If you're going to make those things come true in your life, if you're going to make that vision that you have a reality, you've ultimately got to go out into the cold and unforgiving water. You've got to be willing to face the swells. You've got to be willing to face the most terrifying thing of all, the unknown. It isn't that the sea is dangerous that scares people. It's that you can't see what's beneath the surface. And that is going to be the challenge that you're going to have to face. That is going to have to be the fear that you stare directly into the eye. Is The truth is you don't know what you're capable of. The truth is you don't know if you're going to succeed. The absolute truth is you may fail. may get swallowed by the darkness, but at the end of the day, that's going to be your choice because whether or not you fail does not mean you have to be consumed by that failure. You can get back up and keep going, but that is a choice you have to make. That's the fortitude you have to develop within, and it is a development process. It is something that you do. You 
choose to be stronger than the sea. You choose to be stronger than the unknown. And you choose to be brave enough to go out despite the unknown and try to conquer something, to try to build something in your life, to do the things that other people think cannot be done. It is in facing that fear that you win the battle. Understand, finding the island, making it to the new world, that's not the fucking point. The point is setting out. The point is being willing to get in a dinghy and to go off into the sea. The point is being willing to face the challenge. If you can do that, regardless of what comes, you've already won because you've proven something to yourself that you're willing to try. The truth will set you free, but first, it will piss you off. The reality is, if you want to achieve something great in your life, you've got to be willing to accept who you really are right now. You've got to know exactly what you're good at and what you're not. And the reason that the truth is going to piss you off is it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt to acknowledge that you're not yet who you want to be. It's going to hurt to know that you're not yet capable of the things that you want to be capable of. And it's really going to hurt to know that the things that people say behind your back, the things that they say to hurt you, that they're actually true. That they're right. They have a point. You aren't good at that thing. You aren't as good as you could be. You did embarrass yourself. You have fallen down. All of those things are almost certainly true. But when you can look at those things, when you can stare nakedly at your inadequacies, when you can really stop and not protect yourself with ego, but protect yourself by knowing that you're gonna learn from where you failed. You're gonna learn from the places you've fallen down. You're going to learn your inadequacies so that you can build something new. And as Michio Kaku says, all great ideas come from a picture. You've gotta know what you want. You've gotta know what that thing is that you're building towards. You've got to know exactly who you're trying to become. And once you have that crystal clear vision of who you want to be, it is far easier to acknowledge who you really are. So you've got to start with that picture. You've got to accept the reality, pain and all. But you've got to have that picture. You've got to know where you're going. You've got to know what the skills are that you need to build in order to get there. And once you do that, once you have that picture, and that picture is your obsession, it's the thing that you think about, you dream about, you put it up on your wall, you tattoo it in your mind, you know exactly who you're trying to become. If you're honest with yourself about where you are and you know exactly where you want to go, you can go anywhere.
Knowledge isn't power. Used knowledge is power. Putting that to use to actually do something. Understanding it well enough to create from that thing. That's the end goal. So don't worry about what other people think. Don't worry about what other books other people have read. Don't worry if you ever make it to the last page of anything. Simply ask yourself, do I understand what I need to understand to build the life I want to build, to bring to this world the things that I want to bring? However counterintuitive, however weird, it doesn't matter. If it's a moment of beauty for you and you understand how to build it, build it. the greatest joy you're ever going to experience in life is being truly and uniquely yourself. But first you have to do the work to understand who you really are. Do that work. And as Brene Brown said, you can choose courage or you can choose comfort. But you can't choose both. So as you look out at what you want to do and it scares you, in that moment you've got a choice. It's not about not having fear, it's about rising up in the face of it. It's about accepting that this is going to be hard. It's about accepting that you might fail. It's about accepting that right now you really aren't good enough. good enough to do what you want to do but you can become good enough and if you make that choice if you step out into the unknown if you wade into the water if you go with everything you've got regardless of whether or not you could fail if you do that then you've got proof you know that you have value because you're willing to take that chance and the willingness to take the chance is courage itself. The only thing that you should demand of yourself is courage. If you don't stop, you can't be beaten.